This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how did the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Seth? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will, but... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have, have so much to gain and have such a material motive for putting me in a position I'm in. We'll never let the truth back some of our boys to the world. And I want you to be able to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. Welcome back to Subliminal Jihad, episode 12. I'm your co-host Dimitri. I'm Khaled. And today, as promised, we're going to do kind of a companion follow-up episode to our previous one, which covered the world of 90s internet bad boy Josh Harris and his, uh, particularly his his edgy online news network, um, pseudo.tv. Um, and I think uh, we'd mentioned in that episode that there was a West Coast version of pseudo basically going on at that time in Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're going to dive into this, but like, fair warning, this is going to be, I don't know, the Dracularity of, of this subject. <laughs> and I think also the the personal tie-ins, and I think as we've even mentioned in past episodes, um, kind of the significance of the Den story um, and the principals involved, namely Mark Collins Rector and Brock Pierce, was an incredibly formative event in my development as a sort of conspiracy researcher slash obsessive individual. And also in a weird way, I mean, even I think contributed to a shift in my political consciousness that, you know, sent me down the path that I'm, that I'm at today. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was like kind of like an obsession with well, in a way, like the same way, well, maybe it's kind of in reverse that like Brock uh, Pierce entered the world of crypto. I feel like you uh, sort of transitioned from the crypto world into maybe the, the super crypto occult world of conspiracies, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. And I mean, also, as we will see in this episode, Brock Pierce has also taken a dip into the political world. Uh, namely, he, I don't know what states he's on the ballot in, but he is uh, ostensibly running for president in 2020 as an independent. Uh, yeah. It's, it's hard to say, like, kind of even where to dive in, but I think we should probably, maybe some people who are listening know a little bit about this story, but it's kind of a relatively not well-known one. Uh, even though it was reported on, it's not really, uh, it, it's not really a rumor thing, even like 
Aquino and the Presidio, it, you know, um, these guys got exposed. Well, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should just start from the beginning, um, and talk about the story and these characters and kind of how they rose to prominence in nineties, Los Angeles. And the first big scandal that sort of blew them out of the water, um, but yeah. but didn't finish them off because they keep coming back again and again, and it's incredibly fascinating and uh, at times chilling to see like how many lives these cats have. Yes, uh, yeah, it's very similar in a way to the Josh Harris story, but uh, what they did was a, a bit more uh, appalling, perhaps, or uh, not as really slippery, maybe. Uh, and they really imploded, but they did have that sort of astronomical rise, and it was also in the world of internet streaming video mm-hmm. uh, that they tried to to kind of break into. And for a while, they were uh, they really conned a lot of people. Um, but when it came down to it, uh, it seemed they, what they were offering was nothing but air, really. It was kind. It was almost total vaporware. Though they did create real content, their ability yeah. <laughs> to just like almost exactly like pseudo, their ability to actually deliver it with late '90s technology was uh, practically non-existent. Um, but yes, I they did get. Yeah, I think pseudo probably actually made a little bit more content than what they ended up uh, producing. Uh, I think they which... did, and in a weird kind of in in a weird irony. Uh, the this this west coast network the digital entertainment network or den they raised astronomically more money from investors than pseudo ever did even though pseudo was much more active and in a way it seemed actually even though their viewership was small you know they started earlier in like 1994 and did have a kind of actual it actually was a thing that was part of this whole downtown manhattan scene in the 90s um and whereas den created it did create some content, which we will discuss. Uh, and yeah. It is quite interesting content, but yeah. they never really got above. I think one article said like you know a few thousand viewers a day or something. So in that sense, in terms of actually building an audience, it was kind of vaporware. And as we've said, this is the late '90s dot com 1.0 boom where people were you know becoming millionaires for knowing uh, how to hook up a modem. I think as Jason Calacanis said. And, uh, you know, if you had anybody rolling into Hollywood with these big pitches, there are a few different kind of ginger experiments with marketing stuff on the Internet. But it was still way before any of the stuff we see today. And, I mean, it's worth saying that Den, in a sense, was also very ahead of its time and very forward thinking in terms of its business model and that in the future millennials which was the express group or in their parlance gen y back in the 90s um that they were going to start consuming their video content primarily on the internet and then that was going to sort of change the the type of content and and den in a way was much like pseudo aimed at a very kind of countercultural audience um maybe the kind of the edgier sides of mtv were kind of what they were going for um and as mark collins rector said you know he was targeting kind of various kind of uh countercultural groups but the most important to him was young uh young gay kids 
Yes. Which, uh, which again, is like kind of prophetic in that now we see that like finally being integrated into content from, you know, everything from Netflix to like network TV has, you know, gay characters. I think it's still kind of in uh, maybe has some awkward boxes around it, you know, um, but but in general, you know, he was ahead of his time. But as we'll see, you know, I don't think that 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 passionate interest of his was solely for the benefit of. Of kids out there, I think uh, unfortunately Mark Collins' rector had a certain darker ulterior motive to his obsession with filming content uh, starring preteen boys. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, young teens. Um, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Um, they were making a lot of the same promises. Uh, you know, the same as a uh, as pseudo saying. You know the. I think they said the boob tube zombie television is dead. Uh, global entertainment will be delivered over the internet. Digital entertainment network will create the last network. Um, exactly. That, that. Yeah, that's uh, basically I, like I'm in a race to take CBS out of business. Yes. That kind of um, thing. So I think you're reading from a I think maybe ju- just to best like summarize this. Um, there was uh, an article in. The Sunday LA Times from May 7, 2000, called How a Visionary Venture on the Web Unraveled by Joseph Men and uh, Greg Miller. And this was one of the first big articles to kind of do a deep dive into Den, which, uh, which burst on the scene, I think, around 1997 or 1998. And then by kind of the end of 1999, after raising over $100 million from some of the biggest names in Hollywood and companies like IBM and Microsoft. Microsoft and even Enron, they, they entered into a partnership with, uh, and and big names like former rep uh, representative Michael Huffington, who I think at the time was uh, was the current or ex husband of Ariana Huffington, uh, an internet pioneer mm. in her own right, and of course uh, David Geffen, who is one of the most powerful and in many cases feared tycoons in Hollywood, particularly in the 90s, and uh, hired a lot of very top entertainment industry execs, like lured them away from working for traditional media companies. Uh, One name that uh, immediately jumps to mind is David Newman, who was the president of Disney Television in the 90s, and then uh, quit to uh, assume a high, I can't remember if he was the president, but a high-level executive role at Den. And then after Den flamed out, he ended up uh, becoming the president of CNN. And uh, just a little fun side note, he was the president of CNN on September 11, 2001. We'll maybe get back to that later. And uh, he might have been one of the people that was accused years later of engaging in some of this bad behavior that we'll get to but anyways um this article gives a little bit of a rundown about the digital entertainment network so you said the thing about like the boob tube zombie television is dead uh digital entertainment network will create the last network global entertainment will be delivered over the internet and those are the words of founder uh and already internet early internet millionaire mark collins rector 
These were the visions of a Santa Monica company known as Den, spelled out in a fiery 38-page manifesto written two years ago by its founder, Mark Collins Rector, and for a while, the venture was white-hot, pioneering the fusion of Hollywood and Silicon Valley. Executives from Disney and other major companies flocked to join the company. Digital Entertainment Network hired Hollywood directors and actors to create original programs for its website. Advertisers, including Ford and Pepsi, eagerly plastered their logos on the Den.net homepage, and industry giants such as Microsoft invested millions of dollars. But after two years of trying to build an audience for TV-style entertainment over the internet, Den is yet to produce a program as compelling as the unraveling of the company itself. Beset by business blunders and the allegations of sexual misconduct against its founder, the company squandered an opportunity to define the intersection of California's two premier industries. Instead, as a rival executive said in a recent interview, quote, they have become poster boys for what not to do. The founder, Mark Collins Rector, was forced to leave the company after a lawsuit accused him of molesting a teenage boy, a charge he denies, um, but later pled guilty to. A planned stock offering that could have netted him and his executives hundreds of millions of dollars was abandoned. More than a third of the company's 300 employees were recently laid off, and sources say the company is scrambling to find new financing. Production of shows has been halted, and the vast audience that Den's founders promised is now so tiny it doesn't even register with top internet rating services. The implosion raises questions about how carefully some of the most powerful backers of the internet economy scrutinize the companies they support. Most seemed oblivious to flaws in, in the Den business model and the exorbitant salaries its executives were paying themselves. Investors also knew little about Collins Rector, the entertainment novice they entrusted with their money. Quote, it is one of the leading cautionary tales that come up in internet conversations, said an executive at another online entertainment company. It comes up in terms of overpaying executives, oversetting expectations, burning too bright too soon. Um, Collins' rector declined to be interviewed. His attorney, Ronald Palmieri, denied that his client has done anything wrong. So, yeah. How I, much money did they have Like at their peak? They had a ton. I remember for their show, Chad's World, which really I think was the only thing that they ended up producing even though they had some plans for this stuff they were giving out like 12 like an absurd amount of money like 12 million dollars in salaries yeah yeah uh, like it together. was for 12 million in salaries for what another article uh, later would describe as something that basically had like the production values and aesthetics Awful. of like a, yeah. of like a, a twinkie gay porn or something like shot on read, vhs yeah what you just read about how they were hiring hiring like hollywood's top directors like what like how where did what happened to that because like, i it's don't weird. know like i don't understand how there was all this enthusiasm and then nothing materialized except for like one of the like worst directed things i've ever seen like probably yeah. like less cinematography cinematographically uh sound than something like the room you know like i think that like yeah. tommy wiseau had like a better like directorial eye than whoever made this like yeah yeah they're and, like I mean, shot through the like legs of chairs or whatever like you know like it's just like it's very, very it's not even kind of film school level it's like i mean honestly i think the the person who's compared it to basically like it had the aesthetics of like uh, of like a 90s like gay porn shot on vhs was completely spot on and i know they're being a little bit cheeky but honestly if you had to find some other type of content that would have the same level of like acting and camera work and just like tacky like bland aesthetic it, it's kind of like like not very well shot like video porn from the 90s might be somewhat approximate to this which you know has a lot of as we will find out like 
they There's didn't a, have like working microphones and stuff. Like the sound was like horribly mixed. I, it was you know be, what like, I, I think that yeah, actually like, I think was like a bad kind of VHS rip or something. Maybe, like maybe. The, the version we saw on YouTube, which is the only version I can find right now. There used to be older versions of Chaz World where I mean the, it wasn't great, but like the, the <laughs> audio was wasn't as bad as that video, but still not very good. And um, yeah, but like we'll we'll get to uh, let's save Chad's World for a second because it. it yeah. Kind of it deserves like a Kenneth Anger esque like deep deep uh, yes, it does. It does. <laughs> deep yes. analysis. There's a lot um, going on. But uh, just to read a little more from this LA Times article, uh, going down to uh, subhead setting sights on Generation Y. Collins Rector was the main creative force, a 40-year-old technology guru with no entertainment experience. His background was murky even to the top executives he hired, but he did have tens of millions of dollars and a certain amount of tech industry cachet from an earlier company he founded called Concentric Research. His two Den co-founders were Chad Shackley, then 24, who had lived with Collins Rector since dropping out of a Michigan high school, and Brock Pierce, then a 17-year-old actor best known for his leading roles in such Disney films as The Mighty Duck and first kid. All three lived in a 12,616-square-foot mansion in Encino, drove a Ferrari and a Lamborghini, wore Armani suits, took spur-of-the-moment vacations to the tropics, and threw parties that attracted a young, hip crowd that also defined Den's target audience. In the manifesto, crafted to energize early employees, Collins Rector set his sights on segments of so-called Generation Y that he said were being ignored by mainstream television and movies. He identified punk rockers, extreme skaters, and, quote, hip-hoppers, and put gay teenagers at the top of the list. The company would build a huge market by, quote, global casting to a narrow cast audience. Work began in 1998 on its first show, Chad's World. Produced by the Teenage Pierce, the show is centered on a 15-year-old from Michigan who questions his sexual orientation and ultimately flees his town's intolerance to move in with a gay couple in a California mansion. For early financing, majority owner and chairman Collins Rector turned to high-profile individuals he had come to know in Hollywood, including television actor Fred Savage? Um, okay. And former U.S. rep uh, Michael Huffington said he invested $5 million. Soon, Collins Rector was jetting across the country for meetings with much bigger players in the worlds of technology and venture capital. He was smooth in pitch meetings, using a laptop computer to show investors how Den would transform not only inter internet entertainment, but also advertising and e-commerce. One CD-ROM demonstration showed how users would be able to shop would be able to stop a show in freeze frame, then click on an actor's shirt to buy one like it. The technology never appeared on the actual website, but investors were impressed nonetheless. By June 99, Den had raised $33.5 million from major backers of new ventures, including Cassandra Chase Entertainment Partners, Chase Capital Partners, Dell, Microsoft, and Exodus Communications. Den's outside directors included Michael Blutt, executive partner of Chase Capital, the $8 billion investment fund of Chase Manhattan Corp., and former A&M Records president Gilbert Friesen, president of the Board of Trustees of the Los Angeles Museum of Contemporary Art. Uh, they, all these people declined to be interviewed. Business associates employees said they, like the financial backers, were drawn to Collins Director's creativity and confidence. The guy is smart, affable, and had a vision, um, said current Den Chief Executive Carpenter. A lot of his vision panned out. But even, the last thing I'll read here, even to Carpenter and others close to him, Collins Rector's background was a blur. Dozens of employees, business associates, and social acquaintances said they didn't know or offered conflicting accounts of where he had grown up, where he had gone to school, and what he had done before Den. 
Collins Rector often claimed to be in his late 20s, and associates and employees said he gave the impression he had been a computer student at UCLA. But company filings show that he is 40, and officials at UCLA say there was no record he was ever a student there. According to records in Los Angeles Superior Court, he changed his name in 1998 from Mark Rector, Mark Rector to Mark Collins Rector. The very last thing in this little thing, nearly 20 years ago, he was the brains behind a short-lived telecommunications company called Telequest. Laura Brandeis, one of the original investors in the company, described Collins Rector as, quote, a genius, but also, quote, too much into instant aggrandizement, once demanding that the fledgling company buy him a sports car. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, like, that... Um, that's like a little bit that's definitely a an important thing about uh Mark Collins Rector is that uh his his childhood and background is incredibly murky and vague and I've actually and believe me I've tried I've tried to look up like where he grew up like what his parents did anything like that and he's like a complete cipher though I guess he was in Orange County in Irvine in 1984 so it's possible that he is from California, but again, like we don't know, and he's always been extremely cagey, and even changing his name to like Collins Rector, which I don't know, just sounds yes. a little bit more like mysterious and high class. It's I very kind of why. weird, yeah. dark Jay Gatsby kind of vibe. Well, that also brings up like the whole like Kevin Collins thing that I guess maybe we'll get into a little bit later. The like oh, God. Kevin Collins connection. Yes, yes, we will get into that. And uh, once it gets like more and more chilling. So he, he was running around kind of like Josh Harris, but a little bit more together, I think, a little bit more about his shit. I mean, he had already he had made more money than Josh Harris and was a little bit more focused on certainly the pitch aspect he was able to come up with all these ideas like like integrating online shopping into the shows that people were watching and stuff like that which i don't know if that's around today but i feel like it i mean it's definitely around on social media where instagram influencers will kind of spotlight certain products and then there will be like a link in the bio to get with like a discount code or something like that. Yeah, I guess instead of melting down and turning into Luffy, I mean, they both had a lot of ideas, but I guess instead of melting down and turning into Luffy and then like jumping ship, he just was the entire time like using it to like live out some fantasy of like molesting teenagers in a mansion. And that was like the main like, where Josh Harris, like, genuinely, I think, wanted to come and, like, crawl into the TV. Seems like yeah. Mark Collins' director, like, mostly wanted to drive around in a sports car that he would pick up, like, teenage boys in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's very much driven by... It's a little easier to figure out what he's driven by, um, yeah. which is, like, power and, like, 14-year-old boys. Uh, yeah. You know, basically, in 1991, Collins' director rebounded by launching... Uh, after leaving Telequest, he launched Concentric Research in Bay City, Michigan. Not exactly a tech hub at the time or today, but Michigan, the, again, Michigan y- popping up. I wonder Michigan, if he's maybe from state. Michigan originally. Anyway, well, yeah. uh, not a, uh, kind of not according to this story. Maybe because it says that the con- the company was like an early internet service provider, enabling computer users to avoid long distance charges when dialing into electronic bulletin boards. 
The company set up reflected Collins Rector's ingenuity, needing local telephone access numbers, but spurned by regional phone companies, he built a nationwide network by installing phone equipment in rented space in Payless shoe store locations around the country. Concentric tapped a growing market. Bulletin boards, especially pre-web chat rooms, once numbered in the thousands, offering computer users the chance to find others with common interests and to trade messages on almost any topic. And I think including maybe some topics he was into that were bad, bad topics, um, uh, pizza-related topics. Um, <laughs> but uh, Collins Rector had become a devotee of bulletin boards, which he apparently used to strike up relationships with at least two teenage boys, including his concentric co-founder, Shackley, a high school student in Bay City. After meeting online, according to associates, their relationship flourished, and Collins Rector decided to base concentric in Bay City and bring Shackley, then 16, into the company. So it sounds like, like he met Chad Shackley online as a 15 or 16 year old and then moved to Bay city and founded the company there so that he could like be around Chad Shackley. Uh, it says Shackley's parents who declined to be interviewed were initially supportive of their son's involvement with the business. Shackley's father, a real estate developer even helped set up the company in one of his buildings, according to an account Collins rector posted on the company's website. But according to a family friend, Shackley's parents were dismayed when their son informed them that he was dropping out of high school and leaving home to move in with Collins rector. The two have been professional and personal partners ever since. Um, even so Collins rector continued to spend time on bulletin boards, including one, at which he met a 13-year-old boy from New Jersey. The boy, now 20, says that Collins Rector, using the screen name CyberPoet, offered him part-time work handling customer complaints at Concentric and flew him to Michigan and California for meetings. And that would be the, the kid, as we'll see, that went on to sue him for... Um, molesting him and uh let's see they in 1995 concentric was relatively small with 25 employees and 1 million in revenue but its rapid growth attracted attention from silicon valley uh in 1995 they sold control to a group that included the top drawer venture capital firm of kleiner perkins caulfield and buyers um i think they were in the news recently because gillian maxwell was at one of their christmas parties i think in like 2012 um kind of interesting not the only epstein connection we're going to get to in all this but uh, they basically, yeah, they, they sold Concentric Networks in, I forget what it was, uh, but they sold it for $2.9 and they had part ownership still, so they made a lot of money. And they bought a $2.47 million mansion in Encino in 1997 called the MNC Estate for Mark and Chad. The one-and-a-half-acre property, which includes a swimming pool, aquariums, and a movie screening room, became a stage not only for elaborate parties, but for Den itself. It was initially the base for the company and provided the filming location for a number of Den shows, including Chad's World. So they, they lived extravagantly at this estate in Encino. And I guess they lived, as they raised tens of millions of dollars, they burned through cash at a rate that was alarming, even by internet startup standards. Once it had secured cash from investors, Den set out to assemble a high-profile management team. Um, but instead of tying compensation primarily to stock options, as most internet companies do to control costs, Den immediately offered high cash salaries and bonuses. According to a filing with the SEC last fall, David Newman, who I just mentioned, recruited from Disney to become Den's president, was paid an annual salary of $1.5 million. Uh, Gersh and John Silva, music industry executives brought in to start a record label, were each paid $600,000. The company's head of marketing was paid $1 million, and its chief financial officer, $400,000. Even Brock Pierce, then 18, was paid $250,000, more than, more than most full-fledged internet chief executives earn. 
that's dated. Um, and Pierce and Shackley <laughs> both took executive vice president titles. Um, the company was also spending to build its roster of shows. This is a, a, an important name. Den hired Randall Kleiser, who had directed such films as Grease and The Blue Lagoon, another very problematic movie with underage uh, lovers in it, to create a science fiction series called The Royal Standard. Actress and author Carrie Fisher was hired to write an online advice column called Den Mother. And uh, they were, uh, at that uh, pretty soon, they were in production on 13 shows and planning seven others. But through the first six months of 1999, the company hadn't recorded a dime in revenue and reported a loss of $20 million, including $12 million in salaries and, quote, programming costs. Losing money is hardly unusual for internet startups, but while most spend the bulk of their money on marketing and scrimp on salaries and content, Den was doing the opposite. So that that's something that stands out a little bit, is that... Um, they basically uh, were, it was like cash in, cash out instead of trading on stock options, which later led people to think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of evidence that maybe uh, kind of in a similar way to how Josh Harris thought that, you know, later said that Suda was a fake company, that Den in a way was kind of a fake startup. Yeah, because if you can't, if you don't have content, then you can't hire like young actors uh you know although uh the same article does go on to talk about how like in actually filling a lot of the behind the scenes roles of the company he would also be all about hiring young hip kids brock pierce really being one of them yeah, um, Pierce and and in other accounts, Pierce has been described and in various lawsuits, he's been described as almost like in a Ghislaine Maxwell type position, like he was the cool kid who was, in, uh, you know, had some success as a child actor earlier in the 90s. And he was the one that usually would kind of approach uh, these young kids and befriend yeah. them and like invite them over to the MNC estate for parties. Despite and, uh, Chad on Chad's World being named after Chad Shackley. Brock Pierce was more like Chad on the show. In the 80s, it was MTV that captured the attention of young people all over the world. However, now that youngsters are turning to the internet, a company called Digital Entertainment Network thinks they've got a chance of becoming the next big thing. article from uh, uh, from Radar Online, which weirdly was was partially owned by, I want to say either Harvey Weinstein or Jeffrey Epstein or both at different times um, throughout the two thousands. But nonetheless, wow, like by uh, Jeffrey Epstein, that's funny. I, there might have been a Jeffrey Epstein connection to Radar Online, um, but. This is uh, an article called Fast Company that was written by Patrick Runkle and John Gorenfeld, who will come up later in this whole story. Um, But he was one of the original journalists to kind of write about it, like, in its aftermath. Um, And um, let's see. uh, 
yeah, he's summarizing kind of the same things. Um, oh, yeah, it's worth mentioning also that the Encino Mansion used to be owned by Suge Knight, <laughs> which is kind of like spooky in its own way. Another problematic uh, entertainment industry impresario of the 90s who had a very scary reputation. It says here, among Den, among the Den founders' new Acquaintances in Los Angeles were such industry heavies as David Geffen, Uber manager Sandy Gallen, then NBC Entertainment president Garth Anseer, and Usual Suspects director Brian Singer. Another name we're definitely going to get back to. It's also where they hatched an audacious plan for a web-based television venture that was to consign the networks to the dustbin of history. They called it Den and staked its business model on narrow casting or marketing to thin demographic segments. An early attempt to capture the online video zeitgeist that eventually blossomed with YouTube, Den.net was instead rooted in original programming. The plan attracted major investments from key players in Hollywood, the tech industry, and Wall Street, ranging from Geffen and Singer to Intel. NBC and Microsoft. Michael Huffington wrote a check for $5 million after a lavish dinner party at MNC, boasting to a friend that he expected to reap at least a tenfold gain from his investment. Another regular at the mansion was Den Executive VP Brock Pierce. He was aggressive and self-assured with blonde hair and insouciant pout. He was also still a teenager, 17 years old and coming off a successful career as a child actor with the Mighty Ducks and First Kid among his credits. According to a Den board member, Pierce was hired as the guy you could tell us what Gen Wires were really likely to think. This talent came in handy not only in targeting the youth demographic, but also bringing in a steady supply of beautiful young men to the estate, lured with vague promises of fame as the internet's first TV stars. Eventually, a number of those acolytes would file lawsuits alleging they were raped and or sexually abused at MNC by the three co-founders. Their charges were, mar- were remarkably consistent. All claimed they were bullied and drugged to coerce sexual compliance and in some cases threatened with loaded guns. When the plaintiffs filed civil suits against Collins Rector, Shackley, and Pierce, the three suddenly disappeared with what remained of their fortune, turning up two years later living in a villa in Marbella, Spain. They were arrested by local authorities who uncovered, quote, an enormous collection of child porn, according to Spanish police reports. In their absence, the plaintiffs were awarded default judgments in the amount of $4.5 million, but have collected only a small fraction of that. And while Collins Rector is living it up in London, this is in 2007, taking his young friends to lunch at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant in Claridge's Hotel, according to The Sun, Pierce has recently been lauded yet again as a new economy genius for his role in a fast-growing internet venture that's drawn praise from the likes of Fortune and CNN. And that is a uh, that is IGE, which will we will get to. Um, so that's the dark punchline of this whole den thing is that basically they were using this whole company, it seems, to lure underage boys uh, with the promise of acting jobs or work on these various series and being like you know internet. Uh, almost like, I mean, again, I don't know why we keep using this comparison, but like like a TikTok house kind of like come uh, to this house and you can be a star on the Internet. Yeah, I mean, it's basically pretty relevant, um, although I guess a TikTok house isn't really, uh, as, as far as we know, uh, involved in like exploiting children. I think we should describe the plot of Chad's world before we read like some of the like substance of the allegations because sure. I think there's like an eerie sort of resonance between what the plot of Chad's world is and some of the stuff we talked about already, but also like what uh, the victims of Mark Collins Rector and this clip of people described. Oh, Jack, I think you remember me. What you want? Faggot. 
How does it feel to be responsible for murdering your own son? Who the hell do you think you are? You just get off my property! I was just curious to see what kind of animal makes his own son feel he has to blow his brains out to feel loved. You bastard! Oh, 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 oh. What are you doing? Let me go! You can't do this! Listen, you have no idea what I can or can't do. Let me tell you what's about to happen. I'm gonna kill you. Oh, no. I'm definitely not seeing that. I would suggest you don't speak again. Not a single word. Now. Uh-oh. You're about to lose your job. After that, any place you try to find work won't hire you. You eventually run out of money. Your wife is going to meet a very God-fearing man and will leave you. You're a pariah. And for as long as you live, I'll be watching you. Every moment of every day for the rest of your life, everything you touch will turn to shit. My advice would be just to kill yourself now. Poetic justice, you know. Please! Oh, oh. He said, shut up. Oh. You really are quite stupid. Interesting idea about the police. Though. Absolutely. Um. So, yeah, this uh, show uh, is about, well, it opens up with two boys, one named Jack and one named Chad. Mm-hmm. And Jack is just pacing in front of Chad, and they're talking about Jack, you know, coming out to his parents. And mm-hmm. Chad, who is very like uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, you know, he's the titular Chad. Uh, mm-hmm. He, you know, uh, bull haircut. You know, he's he's like... not. Yeah, he's not a Chad. Uh, he's more, you know, uh, of like he's definitely he's probably he probably is a virgin, you know, uh, and uh, all the more desirable uh, for that reason, I guess, to probably the producers of the show. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, he's but yes, he's very much like a John. Yeah, the sort of classic '90s like middle part. Uh, you know, he's got his hands in his pockets. Uh, you know, coaching his uh, friend Jack to come clean to his parents, and he mentions that he has a brother, I guess, who's who's gay, and uh, you know he's cool Kevin, with it. So, right? Yeah, I think Kevin. Yeah, that's what I want to say too. So that must be Kevin it. Collins. Um, yeah. Mm. <laughs> anyway, um, what? Very strange. But anyway, yeah. um, so he talks his friend up, Jack, who goes to his parents. And then there's this weird shot of his parents' mouths, just their mouths, yelling at him. And his dad screams, like, this is an abomination against God. And the the kid just keeps saying, nothing's different. Nothing's different. You know, I haven't done anything. Same as I was 10 minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, he keeps yelling and screaming. And this culminates in the dad basically saying, I'd rather have a dead son than a gay son. Mm-hmm. Um and Jack runs upstairs. Uh, he's wearing, you know, his like sweater vest, uh, and he tells this uh, long story in a monologue about a deer that he shot uh, at his dad's behest on a hunting trip, and like mm. the pain that he experienced killing this deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's like, "And you know what? My dad got me for Christmas that year. Uh, he got me a gun, and he pulls out this gun from his drawer." And blows his brains out. Yeah, like, and... it's like a Walther PPK, which I want. <laughs> I, I absolutely bet that that was like one of Mark Collins' director's guns. Um, <laughs> Chad screams like no, like in slow mo. Yeah, it, 
It's and actually it's 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 totally gruesome. It's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Like, like a like, bucket of blood like splatters across the frame and like drenches Chad. Yeah. And then there's like a long shot of like with like brain matter out on the floor it's, and like a huge pool of blood. It's like very gruesome. Yeah, they say like fucking shit too, which, you know, is interesting. I guess they're maybe going for an HBO type of vibe. I mean, back in like 1998, that was pretty weird. Uh, it's true. You, know, you didn't. You could only really say those words on maybe HBO or Showtime. Or it was Cinemax. pretty. It definitely was pretty groundbreaking to highlight these sort of gay issues. I guess I remember Dawson's Creek had like a gay plot line maybe in like 1999, and I mm-hmm. feel like that at the time was pretty groundbreaking. But this definitely was. You know, it was front and center. You know, this was all about. Uh, you know, gay like gayness is the core theme really of mm-hmm. uh, this uh, show. But yeah, so the dad and the mom run exoterically. Exoterically, this is the the main theme of the show. Because I yeah, well, yeah, layers. Okay, the main theme of the show is like pedophilia. It's like gay pedophilia grooming. But yeah, the yes, exactly. Like the cover of it is like you know gay pride. And yeah, so the parents run in. The mom sobbing. Uh, and the homophobic dad is like, well, you know, it's for the best. Like uh, sticking with his. Uh, previous statement they'd rather have a dead son than a gay son and i guess chad's this there's also a very weird scene i guess really people should watch chad's world because there's no way that anything that either of us say could possibly convey how weird this is but there's Mm -hmm. like this shoegaze grunge rock that plays as chad like walks out into this like suburban yard and like does this sort of like weirdly half-hearted like looking at his hands like looking up at the sky gesture which is also like shot from like a weird angle like through a tree or something like through the branches of a tree uh and he goes back to his parents and they're worried that uh jack's homophobic dad is gonna like kill chad uh, yeah. Like, you know, they're so concerned about this that they're like, he has to go live with his brother, Kevin, and, uh, you know, his... In Los uh, Angeles. Yeah, and his cool friend. What's the name of his cool friend uh, on the show? All I know is that, it, t- in my mind, and, like, definitely, like, in reality, is Mark Collins Rector, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's Mark and Collins Rector as played by Stifler from American Pie. Uh, yes. Like, it, it, it literally the, is Stifler from The Mark American Collins Pie. Rector play- character is literally played by Sean William Scott in one of his first screen appearances uh probably only just a year or two before he blew up in american pie yeah it's which really just funny. adds like such a layer to this of it's bizarro really funny in all these articles like when they're like uh we asked sean william scott for comment and uh he said you know like thanks for thinking of me but yeah no. the agent scott's uh, agent thanked radar for quote thinking of sean but <laughs> declined to comment uh yeah <laughs> i would not be thinking people were thinking of being oh i'm context, sorry it, it says here his name is jim oh jim yeah a okay, jim, jim. A, con- a california entrepreneur based on collins rector who's really kind of the way he plays mark collins rector and it kind of lines up with uh rector kind of ma- like lying to everybody and saying he was like 29 or something yeah you know um because i mean Sean William Scott probably looks no older than maybe 21 in this and which kind of maybe soften but it's like if you if you transpose the image of Sean William Scott with like 40 year old Mark Collins Rector it all it would probably immediately assume a much more sinister vibe because this character is like very scary yeah it's interesting because he kind of like uh channeled him well in a way you know he certainly made like it's very well Basically, what happens in the plot 
is that uh, Mark Collins Rector and Kevin go to collect Chad from the suburb. And, you know, they're there and there's this sort of weird interlude where Kevin and Chad, the brothers, are like hanging out and like, you know, goofing, goofing around. Mm -hmm. And they're doing this like tickling and like cuddling and like, you know, this it's it's like not the way that you play with your brother. Like, you know, (laughs) it's not the way that like an adult brother plays around with his like 14 year old brother like especially after like oh you just like, witnessed like your best friend yeah like, blow his, his brains, brains blown out, out. yeah like yeah uh at all yeah he's like trying to rip his shoe off and st- it's it's weird but all, while all this is going on mars collins rector played by stifler like goes over to the homophobic dad who you know is screaming calling him you know all these slurs and stuff and somehow, like, unbelievably, it, like, the show manages to make, like, this guy look sympathetic, like, against its intentions, mm-hmm. uh, because this, like, complete maniac, Jim, a.k.a. Mark Collins' director, gets these big bodyguards that he has who are, of course, like, black. You know, he has, like, an army of, like, exclusively black bodyguards, it seems wearing, like. Almost like NOI, like, wearing, like, tuxedos or something. Like, or looking like Secret Service agents or something like, you know, they're all wearing, like, black suits and yeah. sunglasses and are, like, yes. very large and, and intimidating looking. Yeah. So he, they pin this guy down uh, and, you know, they just, like, beat the shit out of him, basically. And uh, he's, like, screaming, please. And, uh, like, Mark Collins' rector, played by Stifler, straddles him and says, like, you're going to lose your job. Like, your wife's going to leave you. Like, you know, and you're never going to, you know, like, this man. Yeah, I'm going to destroy your life. You know, and gives this long sort of speech about how he's going to destroy his life. And it's like, if I were you, I'd suggest you kill yourself. You know, it's only fair, like, balancing out, you know, what you did to your son or whatever. Um, Uh So, like, yeah, I mean, you have every reason. And then he calls the cop, and then he said, he, like, calls the cops on him and appears to be, like, friends with the local sheriff. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, like, oh, hey, Sheriff so-and-so. I'm just in town uh, visiting, you know, visiting Kevin's family. Um, but, you know, the strangest thing happened. Like, Mr. So-and-so attacked me. Yeah, oh, he, like, I, ruffles like up to... his shirt. Yeah. yeah like... Like, he's wearing, like, a leather jacket and, like, kind of Matrix sunglasses. Yeah. He, he has, like, those little wireframe, like, 90s sunglasses that, yeah. Uh, yeah like, uh, I don't know if he's wearing sunglasses. And that's, but, yeah, anyway, like, uh, and the sheriff, like, does show up. And the guy says, like, he attacked me. And the sheriff's like, yeah, he did a good job. So he's like in with the cops. It's this whole like power fantasy of like having absolute control over someone, being able to destroy them, and like the level of like sadism and insanity. Like this character is literally designed to be hateable and like mm-hmm. for this to be like a cathartic thing where like this evil guy is getting what's coming to him. But somehow, like it like the insanity of Mark Collins Rector like still comes through. And yeah. against the backdrop of this, like it's one of the, like, a common flaw, I feel like, in amateur pilots where, like, the pilot doesn't actually establish, like, what's going to happen week to week on the show. Mm-hmm. Like, because they're, like, you know, the actual world of Chad only gets introduced at the end where, like, they whisk him off to basically Mark Collins Rector's actual, like, pedo mansion. Yeah. Uh, and Chad's like, yeah, like, you know, they give him, Wow, like, you guys uh, set it all up for me. They, they, they give him his own room with, like, a with desktop a fax computer. Machine. Yeah. Fax machine. <laughs> yeah. And- um, it doesn't really say what he what he does except he's just like successful and rich and yeah he's an entrepreneur yeah like exactly he's got a desk and stuff like uh, and he's yeah he's got a desk and he's like violent you know when Kevin first mentions like that 
uh, the parents are worried about Chad. He's like, if that fucker touches Chad, I'll kill him. And it's like, well, you know, like, let's just like move him in with us or whatever. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like, it's bizarre. Anyway, so like, he's like, Chad is like, well, what a surprise or whatever. And like when he sees his room with the fax machine on the bed, and he's like, you fix it all up for me. And he's like, actually, the real surprise is in the garage. And he, he shows him, of up course, some car keys. And, yeah, and yeah. Kevin is like, oh, like, you know, Jim, you shouldn't have. And he's like, yeah, you're, you're going to sp- you're going to spoil him. And he's like, yeah. what's the what's wrong with that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And he weird. goes, yeah, it's bizarre. And he goes out to the car. He's like, he doesn't even have his license yet. And he's like, I thought of that. And the window of the car like rolls down. And there's like, again, like another like big black servant in there. Uh, and he like, you know, they do like a little like ha- high five or something or like a handshake. And he's like, yeah, I think I could hang here. Uh, and the so, episode, and then the episode ends. Yes. So <laughs> and presumably they shot more. I, I've seen like clips of more episodes, like where they're like fourteen-year-old boys hanging out in the hot tub. Oh man, yeah. Which like, was a, a a major thing that. Oh yeah, they mentioned that Chad has his own jacuzzi too, right? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. They say jacuzzi. you got your own jacuzzi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is really a pernicious um, lie because that's not how it was at the MNC estate. There was just like uh, one jacuzzi. No, you and you get you have to have Mark Rector's jacuzzi. You do not get your own jacuzzi. No. Um, yeah. You have to hang out with a bunch of adults, and you have to be naked when you go in jacuzzi. Uh, I think it, that was his rule, either to stay the night or if they wanted to go swimming, they had to go skinny dipping. Cool. That um, was his rule. Yeah. So, and it sh- it bears mentioning that the ads in the show are all like Ellen DeGeneres, like you know LGBT Foundation, like Ellen DeGeneres's mom doing the same thing. It's all like you know. Oh, was that her rides. mom? Yeah, uh, there's an, you know, yeah, she human rights campaign. She's like, Um, yeah, my daughter is Ellen. You like, like, I'm whatever DeGeneres. Like, my daughter is Ellen. You know her and she's gay. Like, you know, so it's all very much like and there's ads about like, you know, AIDS and things like that. There's Uh, life after sex. A very 90s. Like, I kind of remember at maybe those same some of those same ads were playing on MTV in the 90s because I feel like that very like that New York kind of like a like flashbulb like slow motion like a sort of like you know shirtless like male dancer kind of yeah you know what i mean like and just like like a sclerotic editing and like some like you know hip-hop beat in the background like a sad hip-hop beat in the background it was like yeah you know we need your strength we yeah yeah yeah, yeah, exactly and yeah like that it was very of the moment but it's it's weird like homoerotic like aids ads but i yeah uh i like like to actually look up and see if they they were on mtv or if like they were kind of den exclusives or uh yeah i was there I doubt it. I feel like they must have been on somewhere else. Like, I doubt they were produced for Den, but they definitely were run as part of the show. Um, and, yeah, like, uh, it uh, yeah, it definitely takes you back to that time where I remember those ads that were, like, uh, people would be, like, uh, it would be, like, a scene where some kids were, like, making fun of some other kid and, like, saying, like, that's so Jim or whatever to say that's so stupid. And it's, like, that's what you sound like when you say that's so gay. It was, like, you know, very Ooh. much, like, of that of that era, like, type of thing. But anyway, so so the plot of Chad, the first episode is called I Lost My Friend. It's all mm-hmm. about, like, the, uh, the victimization of gay youth and, like, the suffering that they face. And so uh, compare that 
with what is actually going on here. So at this uh, mansion, well, I'm just going to read this from the radar article. Okay. One of the alleged victims was identified as Mike E. The slim, dark-haired 14-year-old who attended a small private high school in the Valley befriended Chad's brother, Scott, who led him to Den. Mike had an interest in acting, so when Collins' rector outlined the possibilities for stardom offered by the site, the boy began spending time at the mansion, where there was one key rule. He recalls, if you were going to sleep over, you had to get into either the pool or the hot tub, and you had to be naked to do so. So, like you said. In an mm-hmm. exclusive interview, Mike E. confirmed having been forced to engage in anal and oral intercourse with Collins' rector, Shackley, and Pierce, while under the influence of drugs that he claims were fed to him without his knowledge. At the same time, he says... Collins, Rector, and Shackley were pushing him to become a legally emancipated minor, just like Chad. Anyway, uh, although <laughs> Roland Palmieri, Collins, Rector's lawyer at the time, dismisses the allegation, saying, There was never any such discussion that I know of. Radar has obtained correspondence sent by Shackley to Palmieri's law office requesting an update on the status of Mike E's emancipation filing. Yikes. Meanwhile, in addition to paying the boy $1,000 a week, Collins, Rector dangled a starring role in a Den series called The Royal Standard, the same ones are being directed by... Uh, uh, the guy that you mentioned earlier, oh, Randall, Randall, Randall Kleiser, Kleiser, the director yeah. of Grease and the Blue Lagoon. Blue Lagoon. Yeah. So another alleged victim, Daniel, tells a similar story. After being convicted of sexual abuse at MNC, uh, the Mark and Chad mansion, he wrote a suicide note. I can't stop crying. Please, God, help me. I can't go on. I let them use me as a sex tool. I let those assholes do all those terrible things to me. Goodbye. His brother found the note and alerted their parents before Daniel made any attempt on his life. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah, So there's this um, weird, like, fantasy about, like, rescuing, uh, you know, these boys from these evil homophobes when really they're, like, the ultimate predators. Yeah. Uh, um, Yeah, just to jump off on that, like, why the scene of Jim attacking this homophobic dad had sort of a a very creepy resonance is this article also says that in addition to the money and promises of stardom, Collins Rector allegedly used physical threats to keep the boys in line. One tactic, according to several victims, was to brandish a gun. Do you know what I can do with this? He would say, (laughs) leveling the barrel at them. Quote, and get away with it. He also threatened the lives of their families. On one occasion, Alex recalls, Collins Rector asked a bodyguard to stand in the room wearing earmuffs. The den chairman told Alex B., one of the victims, uh, Alex Burton, who had a bit part in X-Men, the guard would choke him if he didn't consent to sex. Radar tracked down the guard in question who had gone on to do security work for a big Hollywood talent agency. He confirmed the basics of the boy's account and seemed disgusted by the memory. Quote, Mark told me to put on the earmuffs and stand in the room facing him and Alex. I was there for about two hours. That is all I want to say about what happened. So, ooh, yikes. Yeah, so definitely you can see the resonance between that and... Like the bodyguards, I'm gonna ruin your life. Threats. You should just yeah. kill yourself. Yeah, like and having the bodyguards normal stand and, and heroic. It's this typical sort of megalomaniacal. That yeah, it's it's disgusting. It's. Disgusting. I mean, he sounds like like Frank from Blue Velvet. Yeah. A little bit like he's always flanked by bodyguards, and it's just like this, this totally overwhelming psycho who. Yeah. And, and who is always intimating that he's got these connections and I could like, yeah. I could kill you and get away with it. I could arrange for your family to be taken out. You know, it's a very kind of um, mafia slash maybe intelligence background mm. kind of attitude to have. And mm. yeah, yeah. So which I mean, again, like we're going to kind of uh, get there later. Um, 
they uh, they almost launched an IPO in 2000. Um, they had filed with the SEC, but by May 2000, they were bankrupt, and before long, its headquarters were gutted. The expensive computer equipment and office chairs sold off for a fraction of the original cost. Um, and around Hollywood, rumors flew that Collins, Rector, Shackley, and Pierce were about to be arrested on embezzlement and sex offenses. But before any char- charges were filed, the three men disappeared. And they didn't turn up again until May 2002, like we said earlier, when a tip to Interpol led authorities to raid their luxury villa in Marbella, Spain, an area British tabloids have dubbed the Costa del Crime due to its high population of English-speaking fugitives. Um, among the items recovered from the residents were guns, machetes, a trove of jewels, and child pornography. Pierce and Shackley were held for about a month by Spanish police and then released. Um, And uh, Rector was held in Spanish jail for two years and was eventually extradited and pled guilty to eight charges of child enticement. Um, a comparably minor offense, and uh, and that that was basically you know <laughs> Den Den was one of these spectacular flameouts that basically just like wiped out a lot of money. I remember in other articles reading that um, Mark Collins' rector became really paranoid that David Geffen had hired people to spy on him and might be trying to assassinate him for uh, it's never clear exactly what, but I guess like ripping him off or stealing his money, or being a con man, or maybe something else. Uh, David Geffen's one of these guys that uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw out any reckless allegations, but he there's been a lot of smoke around him for many years, and he has this kind of mystique of somebody that you do not want to fuck with in Hollywood. So they had a lot of reasons to skip town and go to Marbella, which uh, the article is correct. I mean, we'll we'll get to Marbella later, but it really is like this very scary, notorious, wealthy enclave um, on the Spanish Riviera, where I think various Saudi princes have sort of palatial villas and like Russian mafia oligarchs and people like Mark Collins Rector um, basically hang out. And I think it's worth also mentioning that I believe the age of consent in Spain is much lower than it is in the United States. I believe it's 13, which would be right in the sweet spot of kind of uh, this this den of thieves, right? Yeah. And, of course, like, you know, immediately you see the thing that the Spanish police reported they found this huge stash of child porn, but then... Well, uh, Brock Pierce and Chad Shackley just get kind of cut loose after a month and get to come back to America. Mm. No charges, no extradition, no anything like that. And that's an interesting thing we'll, we'll kind of get to. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's, like, for now, I mean, I think, uh, and, and some of those names, like Mike E. is actually Mike Egan, uh, who will pop up again when we start to talk about the sort of reemergence of allegations against Brian Singer in 2014. But I think, for now, I think uh, that's kind of a good summary of Den. So I think, do you want to, maybe we can move on to kind of talking about, like, what happened in the aftermath of this you know, the, yeah. the collapse of their company, fleeing the country, all of them getting arrested. Like, where, where did these people yeah. end up in the 2000s? The majority of young people today are not finding themselves reflected in television. We're creating content that specifically targets your needs, your wants, your desires.
We're creating a new form of entertainment to serve the global news audience. Okay, so we talked about Den, and now I think we can move on to the next chapter, uh, at least in, in Brock Pierce's life story, which uh, happens like right on the heels of this collapse of Den and everybody's flight to Marbella, Spain. And uh, it doesn't take him long to start coming up with a new internet business idea. And for this, I'm going to read from a 2008 article in Wired called The Decline and Fall of an Ultra-Rich Online Gaming Empire. So picking up, like, after the collapse of Den, more lawsuits followed. Other young men naming all three former Den executives in sexual harassment claims. Some 4.5 million in judgments were awarded by default. Pearson says he didn't know he didn't even know about them. And according to one of Pierce's former attorneys, the claims against him were later dismissed. But at the time, nobody could locate the defendants to collect. Pierce knew exactly where he was. Quote, I ended up getting lost in EverQuest for a year and a half. So... By the time Den finally laid off its last employees in May 2000, the founders were living quietly in Spain in the seaside resort town of Marbella. Pierce, however, was spending most of his time in another place altogether, the magical universe of Norath, in in whichever quest, then (laughs) the Western world's biggest MMORPG, took place. The relative appeal of Norath wasn't hard to explain. Spain was nice enough, but it was still undeniably part of the same real world in which Pierce's fortunes had lately gone to crap. I I had thought I was going to become a billionaire, Pierce says. I had all this stock, and now it was worthless. In the real world, Pierce was just a 19-year-old washed-up child actor living far from home and slowly going broke. But in Norath, he was none of that. He was the dark elf wizard Athrex, and he was a champion. He played on EverQuest's Valenzek server, by far the most competitive of the three dozen sub-communities into which the EverQuest player population was segregated, and even there he stood out. There would be server-wide tournaments, and I would win them, he says, proud even now of his skill in both combat and the endless grind of monster killing and gradual, relentless, quote, leveling up that defines MMOs. Pierce was a pioneer of the art of six-boxing. Hopping between half a dozen computers, he would run his dark elf and five little 3D helpers through dungeons designed to kick the ass out of all but the best-trained and best-equipped player groups. He got so good he could reliably kill the mushroom-headed Mycenid Spore King, thus securing a regular supply of enchanted fungi tunics, which dropped from its corpse. In MMO speak, Pierce was now single-handedly farming fungi tunics, acquiring them as a matter of routine. This coveted piece of armor sold for up to 50 thousand Narathium Platinum pieces, an amount of virtual money that took most players a full 150 hours to earn. That much virtual loot could cost $500 on eBay. Pierce knew how much real money his farming could have earned him. By then, he was rising to prominence in Valenzek's premier guild, 12 Profits, led by Swiss 18-year-old Alan de Bonneville, who in addition to managing the gold was selling EverQuest items and currency on the side. I was in charge of the market on my server, de Bonneville says. I would net 6000 to 8000 per month. Pierce had certainly thought about turning pro. Before Den took off, in fact, he started a business in virtual trading cards in the online game Sanctum, and had pulled down 30k a year, and it wasn't a legal issue. There clearly was a market for selling virtual items for real money, Pierce says. It was less clear that it was against the rules, and it was certainly not against the law anywhere. But what held Pierce back was a problem of scale. He was still looking for a way back to the multi-million dollar business world he, he would run away from, and somehow the $13 a month fantasy world he'd run away to didn't seem like the place he'd find it. The kind of business it would take to fit Pierce's ambition, a truly corporate retailer of the virtual, complete with org chart, business plan, and potential IPO, was without precedent. It was a thing 
something so improbable and awesome, come to think of it, that actually making it happen might redeem not just the years he'd lost to Den, but the additional year and a half he'd now spent doing little else but play a video game. Um, And at once he finally did come to think of it that way, Pierce was playing a new game, making his redemption a reality. In May 2001, he founded IGE with what was left of his own savings, setting up corporate headquarters in a 700-square-foot office in downtown Marbella and hiring some locals to do the farming to rack up EverQuest items he could sell for cash. The company's ultimate goal, Pierce says, was to shift to the far more efficient model of acquiring its supply entirely from freelance farmers. And within a few months, IGE would be doing just that. But first, Pierce invited de Bonville down to Spain for a look around. There, as de Bonville would relate in the legal complaint several years later, Pierce introduced him to Collins, Rector, and Shackley, explained that the three of them had made millions, and invited de Bonville to join him now in making millions more. I told Alan this could be a $100 million business, Pierce says. I had that vision. Uh, de Bonville didn't hesitate. He moved to Spain and joined IGE with a 2% ownership stake and full responsibility for the management of sales, supply, and technology, thus freeing Pierce to concentrate on long-term strategy. And if, in the months that followed, Pierce was slow to give de Bonville a more detailed picture of his business background, well, who could blame him? And uh, the last thing I'll read here, in any case, de Bonville got a pretty good understanding in June 2002, an eventful month that began with Pierce's mysterious failure to show up for work one day. De Bonville was told at first by Pierce's Spanish lawyers that his partner had gone on vacation to Thailand. In fact, Pierce was in government custody. According to de Bonville's initial complaint, which was later sealed by the court in the course of a business-related suit, Pierce later told him that a Spanish SWAT team had moved into the house of the former den execs with guns and helicopters. Pierce and Shackley spent a month in detention before being released least, but Collins Rector remained in the Spanish system for another year and a half, fighting extradition to the U.S. on criminal charges of transporting a minor across state lines with intent to engage in sexual activity. De Bonville, this is interesting, claims Pierce spent much of that time trying to help Collins Rector, at one point even flying to Liberia to try to buy his former boss a Liberian diplomatic title and whatever immunity might go with it. At the same time, Pierce was busy sorting out his own legal affairs, hiring lawyers to help get the civil claims that had defaulted against him when he left the U.S. uh, dismissed. And so that was the the genus of of internet gaming entertainment, this company. Um, The genesis of it, uh, right? The genesis? Is that what I said? Genus. I was wondering what, yeah. Either, either way. Right, yeah, the, okay. the gen- yeah the, this was the kind of the genesis of, uh, of internet gaming entertainment. And it went on for, I think, about five or six years. And Brock Pierce was able to reinvent himself and, according to a lot of people, like, ruin World of Warcraft. <laughs> like, that, uh, that's one. That, there's a, I don't know. I did have a bunch of friends who played EverQuest. Like, uh, they called it Evercrack, so... I could see. I had yeah. friends that used to play World of Warcraft, and they would call it World of Warcraft. Oh wow! Hmm. And that that was probably around like 2006, 2007, kind of this peak era of um, their their peak popularity. But yeah, both definitely very addictive games. I remember, wasn't there a notorious story from South Korea where a teenager died from playing EverQuest for so long? Uh, I haven't he, heard like, that, died. but I believe it. Uh, I, I remember just, like, that being a kind of a big story from the early 2000s. It was like the first young person to die because he was playing EverQuest for like 35 hours straight or something. Like, wow. He hadn't left the computer and it, it killed him. <laughs> That's really amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty uh, wild. But uh, I guess the, the reason that a lot of people um, got angry and 
you know, accuse Brock Pierce of ruining um, World of Warcraft is because he did blow this up into like a huge business where he was eventually hiring like click farms full of people in I think primarily Hong Kong is where he eventually started basing this out of that would just run in with like these these like noob accounts and just go out in the field it was even kind of parodied a little bit and remember that South Park episode about World of Warcraft where they decide to just run out in the field and just slaughter boars to like collect points for like a month straight uh I have not seen this episode of South Park um, oh wow yeah it, it was kind of probably back from like 2008 when this was like yeah. a big thing I've never culture. been like a big South Park fan to be honest uh you know um fair enough fair enough yeah I did I, I definitely I got caught in yeah. its snare when I was a kid and probably through my uh, adolescence but um, yeah. yeah, but uh, no, but I, I was going to say that I remember that, you know, uh, since there's going to be like some spooky connections with uh, Barack Pierce and Mark Collins Rector a little bit uh, down the line gets a little bit into the sort of bizarre uh, domain. It is interesting uh, that EverQuest was kind of uh, I remember a lot of people sort of transitioned to that from the world of LARPing, which had sort of that. uh you know, uh, sort of mystique or like doorways to danger kind of um, aura around it, uh, where mm-hmm. it was sort of the same thing of like D&D, like it's a gateway to the occult. And I think EverQuest, because of the sort of it was a new thing that was sort of transitional from that, I think it kind of had that same aura around it of being somehow occult. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, just the, the, the broad magical thing of like, you know, orcs yeah. and wizards and mages and, and fairies and elves and all of these games basically dealt with. I mean, it's very, very on point for this kind of networked Internet game, you know, massive yeah. multiplayer Internet game. Well, that, well, by that time was more mainstream, I feel like. But still, yeah, it definitely has the same sort of fantasy theme. Uh, and the fact that he was into EverQuest prior to that is, you know, also mm-hmm. like a, even more. And, so. and as we'll see shortly, like other games as well um, in the late 2000s. But yeah, I see here in the Wired article that World of Warcraft was released in November 2004. And they pretty quickly switched over to the gold of Azeroth as the most, uh, which quickly became the most heavily traded virtual currency in the world. So this is very important because he's basically taking these items that people for gaming purposes, uh, you know, invest with a certain amount of monetary value or willing to pay for to kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, cheat in line and become more powerful and he's turning it into a form of like a virtual commodity, which, uh, you know, might not seem so radical now, but in 2004 was pretty cutting edge. Um, and yeah. it got really big when the industrial Chinese gold farm sort of model took off uh, around 2005. And according to industry lore, China's first gold farm sprang up as early as 2002, just across the border from Korea. MMOs were huge in that country. Does that mean North Korea? Uh, I don't know. I mean, was uh, uh, what? What's China doesn't. About? Uh, China does China share a land border with South Korea? I don't think they do. Hmm. 
Interesting. Anyway, yeah, yeah, it's like a weird, it's weird they don't specify. But it said MMOs were huge in South Korea, and it was supposedly Korean player entrepreneurs who hit upon the idea of hiring low-wage Chinese workers to farm the currency and equipment that other users craved. But in the end, it was the huge new market of Western WoW players that gave thousands of small-time Chinese capitalists a reason to set up gold farms of their own. And when they did, it was IGE that became the Walmart moving all that product west to gold-starred players. The Hong Kong base made IGE uniquely suited for the job, and soon the company had a new Shanghai supply center and a website just for Chinese suppliers. They could see what the offering price for gold was on a particular server. We had over 100 people working in Shanghai, DeBonville says, and the investment was worth every cent, securing IGE a truly reliable supply chain and the sweetened profits that went with it. I mean, that, so yeah, that, that's, um, that was a thing they kind of kicked off doing, and then I guess eventually the amount of like Chinese gold farmers, like industrial grade gold farmer accounts just started to like overwhelm the whole game and like flood everything. And I, I never played WoW, so I, I, I don't know exactly like what the dynamics of that disruption were, but I guess it also kind of jacked up the prices. Uh, I think once you were able to buy these items, it created a lot of accounts where people were just leveling up and getting these super powerful items because they could pay for them. Whereas maybe there was more of an ethic of, you know, you got to put your time in and like level up to whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, to acquire these things. Yeah. So people feel like it undermined the whole spirit of the game. And, uh, yeah. Um, it's interesting because it really is like a a intriguing form of commodity fetishism for sure. It's kind of reminds me of like that, like a $9,000 app or something you could download that was just like a picture of a gem or whatever. Like, really? uh, you know, yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, stuff like that, like, you know, trading cards or whatever, but that was probably the, the best example of commodity fetishism that I've ever sort of encountered where it's just like a symbol of the ability to spend that much money on something trivial. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is honestly how I think a lot of modern art, when you walk through like the MoMA and you just see like a canvas that's just like a a shade of white, (laughs) it's like probably, you know, it's probably some, some Wall Street asshole or like Saudi Prince is going to buy that for like $500,000. And and it's like almost like, there is some art like that that I like, like Malevich's Black Square, you know, great uh, Russian artists, you know, I feel like you should, uh. I'm not familiar, him, but, uh, but show you know, me. Look it up. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, painting. I've always been a fan of Black Square by Malevich. But anyway, <laughs> it's a little bit different, though, because it's kind of... I mean, I guess there's lots of apps and stuff now that have, like, in-app purchases where, you know, you spend money to get extra gems or whatever. It's really kind of been integrated into... Yeah, I mean, uh, isn't Facebook, they have a they have a Libra, their, their Libra cryptocurrency? Is that what... It is I don't know. That it, I don't, a virtual yeah. payment system. Um, yeah. You do see some big companies kind of moving towards that. And of course, the obvious example, which we're going to get to like shortly, is this was a huge influence. Uh, or yeah, it, it's unclear what the chain of influence was, but it was definitely the biggest predecessor to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency a few years later. And wouldn't you be shocked if the same guy was at the heart of both? Um, but basically, uh, this virtual... Um, item industry basically grew to an $880 million industry and started attracting big investment from bigger Wall Street companies. And um, I think we would be remiss to not mention they started hiring um, 
uh, Steve Salier, I guess, who was uh, a former electronic arts executive who they hired as president. And then in the months uh, following that, IGE hired more adults, a slew of VPs with decades of industry experience among them. The company also brought on a former Goldman Sachs investment banker named Stephen Bannon, whose mission was to land venture capital. Okay, so yeah, uh, Steve Bannon worked for IGE starting in 2005. At the time, I think Bannon was, he hadn't really gotten into politics yet. I think he was sort of floating around Hollywood. And like they said, he had worked for Goldman Sachs. Very, uh, very curious career that guy has. But here, here he is. I think he helped facilitate Goldman Sachs investing $60 million in IGE. And then he later joined the company Goldman Sachs uh, started making visits to Hong Kong, inspecting IGE's Asian operations and talking with Bannon and others about terms. And yeah, they made a, on February 7, 2006, okay, so Bannon was working for them before Goldman Sachs came in. So I guess Bannon got Goldman Sachs to, to give these people $60 million. Part of that money was used by Pierce Salyer and IG's general counsel, Randy Maslow, out of some of their stock in the company. Now, that's interesting because Randy Maslow is the longtime business attorney of Mark Collins Rector and actually was, um, his name, I think, was on the incorporation documents of Concentric the original company that he made in the 80s. And then he was also one of the lawyers for Den and for one of the shell companies that it was like WWTIV Inc. that they set up like in the Bahamas around the time Den collapsed. Randy Maslow was listed as a corporate officer on that. And Brock Pierce to this day has claimed that after their whole arrest in 2002, that he had nothing to do with Mark Collins Rector. Uh, Mark Collins Rector and them just had no contact ever again that has always been his story, and so that's a little mm, a little clue right there that the same lawyer was working. Um, and what we will say is, like, eventually this company kind of fell apart, and the the three uh, principals, like Alan DeBonneville, uh, Rock Pierce, and another guy named Jonathan Yantis, kind of had a falling out and started suing each other, and that was how we were able to find out, um, basically, they actually got sued in 2007 by an American gamer, we salute you, Antonio Hernandez, who fired a multi-million dollar class action lawsuit against IGE in a district court in Florida. He was a wow diehard, uh, averaging by his own description 30, 35 to 40 hours a week of play. And it was on behalf of almost every other wow player in the US that he was suing IGE for substantially impairing and diminishing their collective enjoyment of the game. Uh, specifically, Hernandez held IGE responsible for every ill that could be attributed to RMT in general and gold farming in particular, and he was using the leverage of consumer protection law to make the company answer for it. They say his lawsuit might have succeeded, except for one thing, you can't kill something that's already dead. Though neither Hernandez or his lawyers could have known it, the Florida-based company he was suing, IGE US, was no longer what it used to be. Just two months before the suit was filed, Pierce had acceded to the inevitable and cut loose the company's hemorrhaging retail operation, selling it at a deep discount. Um, to the only potential buyer capable of doing anything productive with it, Jonathan Yantis. Um, the business on which IGE was built was sold off, and the company shed its name, becoming Affinity Media and uh, becoming a marketer of the MMO community sites uh, used to boost its own traffic. It's also worth mentioning in here that uh, the person that filed the incorporation papers in the state of Florida for IGE US was Matt Rector, 
Mark Collins Rector's brother. So there you go again. A little uh, kind of interesting thing. But anyways, they became um, Affinity Media. Uh, but then in June, I want to say 2007, Brock was forced out as the CEO and replaced by who else? Stephen Bannon, the investment banker who had joined the board when Goldman Sachs deal went through. That same month, uh, DeBonabile sued Pearson at L.A. federal court, seeking millions of dollars in damages for breaches of fiduciary duty, breaches of contract, and fraud related to DeBonabile's exclusion from the Goldman buyout, and dredging up questions of character that reached all the way back to the Den days. A few months later, as if on cue, Mark Collins' rector made British tabloid news when he reportedly turned up in London consorting with teenage boys. Tycoon pedo prowl on, on, in UK, blared one headline. DeBonville's court filings, meanwhile, revealed that the year before, Pierce had told him that Collins Rector was blackmailing him, threatening to snarl IGE in litigation that would make it unattractive to investors. And the other thing that was in that lawsuit where some of the court documents were, uh, or I guess they are available publicly, is that de Bonville says that Mark Collins Rector was a, like the silent partner or even maybe the person in charge of IGE the entire time. But Brock Pierce was basically his front man for a variety of legal and PR reasons. So even though officially they kind of split off, there's all this evidence that like the same exact people connected to Mark Collins Rector were still in the mix of this. And just as a side note, they also got discovered. It was also revealed in 2007 that there was another MMORPG called Entropia Universe, a sort of less popular one. But the users on the message boards discovered that a really popular player there who went by the name Marcus Slam Aurelius was actually Mark Collins Rector. And he was using the Entropia Universe game to groom teenage boys. And then he got banned from Entropia Universe. So like I have to assume that the fascination with MMORPGs, you know, obviously like there's the voice chat kind of functionalities and just like how Collins Rector uh, groomed teenage boys on like online message boards in the early 90s. I think he had basically moved on to maybe prowling on World of Warcraft and EverQuest and Entropia Universe in the late 2000s and then was also behind this kind of big comeback um, company, IGE, where, you know, he couldn't be associated it for kind of obvious reasons because he'd been outed in this way and, like, nobody trusted him. But Brock Pierce could still kind of have a deniability of, like, well, I was just 18, I was just a child actor, and, like, I, I'm not the one that went to jail for it or had to plead mm-hmm. guilty. Um, and everything else is just kind of, you know, uh, smoke with no substance. So... Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the rundown of, of IGE. Um, and I don't know, do you have anything to say about that? Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it's an interesting sort of transitionary chapter. Um, but I feel like the Bitcoin is where he really sort of explodes out uh, or ex- explodes back to the fore. At least Brock Pierce does. Like I said, the EverQuest connection it's kind of interesting. Um, it's interesting that he's into that, you know, and he still kind of characterizes himself as a gamer, even now during his uh, 2020 campaign. Um, yes, he does. So, and yeah. uh, that's kind of his uh, one of his qualifications he lists for how yeah. he could win the election, even without winning the most votes, is that he's a gamer. He studies the rules. Yeah. Not everybody does that. Um, um, 
Yeah, I guess maybe for people, uh, we haven't mentioned this, but maybe for people who want to know, the role that Brock Pierce played in Mighty Ducks was uh, young Gordon Bombay, uh, the young version of Emilio Estevez. If you're trying to put a face to the name, uh, the and most I think likely it's place kind you can of, him. Yeah, yeah, in some of the articles, I, I think it's a little bit inaccurate to describe him as a star of mighty ducks yeah, i mean he exactly. had a prominent He's in a couple parts yeah not yeah really. prominent but like flash small flashback role and of course he had to get the kid with the just those big blue eyes and kind of the the sort of emilio essence um yeah he skating was a star first kid with sinbad though known for his he legitimately starred in the that genie kazam in the uh or shazam in the mandela effect universe or whatever um, oh yeah yeah that's right um <laughs> yeah. and i mean basically he was in disney and he said i saw him say in a different interview um that he basically his first memory was being on the set of a commercial when he was three wow and that it was never his ambition to be an actor it was his mother's ambition mm. and and he obviously fell in with basically like the disney kind of universe it's interesting that he was in First Kid and now he wants to be president uh, in terms of what of, his current ambitions are. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it is. It is. Um, but and I don't know if when we get to like the, the full scope of his story here, um, whether or not it'll like make more or less sense uh, that he ends yeah. up wanting to run for president. It's truly bizarre. a good time to kind of transition to so like ige gets like gutted it collapses not in a totally dissimilar way to den i mean there's you know there's lawsuits this one's more on the level of financial chicanery and fraud and things like that than any specific sexual allegations but he's sort of he made a bunch of money from that but then he's sort of out again like kind of at, at, at square one and uh this is probably around 2008 2009 and then he basically becomes one of the very, very early enthusiasts of Bitcoin, which officially launched in 2009. And I think as, as, as early as that year or 2010, Brock Pierce has said that he, you know, just like he got into the early waves of all these other technologies, um, you know, he's got that Josh Harris profit thing of he just mm -hmm. happens to always be in the right place at the right time and have the right idea. 
And he becomes like a very early investor in Bitcoin. Um, but it, it's not really, uh, and I think maybe going into around 2012 and 2013, he starts to found a number of startups based in Santa Monica. So by this time, he actually comes back to L.A. and he sort of plugs into the sort of burgeoning like Silicon Beach, Santa Monica, Venice tech scene which I was living in L.A. back then, and <clears throat> it was small. It was nowhere near as large and influential as Silicon Valley, but there was kind of some interesting stuff going on, and there were increasingly the big tech companies were kind of opening up in this this part of L.A. So this is where all the tech stuff was, and he just found himself kind of smack dab in the middle of it and back in L.A. and moving around in a lot of, like, angel list VC circles and launching um, a couple different startups. Uh, I think one of them was called OKCoin, which was ostensibly a Bitcoin exchange. Now, this is back in the Wild West days of Bitcoin. So people, um, and, and I will, I'll probably give a little background here because I, I too, got bitten by like the crypto bug uh, a little later than Brock, but around maybe 2013. And yeah. I, I was kind of around for this area, and this is the area of the era of where the there were a number of different exchanges where you could, you know, like any stock we both trading site. Did a little bit of crypto trading. We both uh, did a little bit yeah. of Dogecoin. We did That's Blackcoin. Right. I remember we were like probably the sole investors and boosters in Thorcoin. Um, we were. If anybody ever saw Thorcoin <clears throat> on the charts, I think we literally are like one of like five people that were trying to pump that coin. Uh, <laughs> it went into oblivion from like one yeah. Satoshi to like five Satoshi was, was the gambit. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We tried to inflate the value of Thorcoin, um, but it didn't yeah. quite work. Um, <clears throat> And, and so, yeah, this is like the great um, I referred it to before is like the, the great altcoin bubble of early 2014. Yeah, it was we a really a exciting black coin, though. Black coin like was the one that kind of panned out a little bit. That one did pan out and pop off. And I got a little, you know, I, I think in early 2014, I, I was legit like a, a Bitcoin thousand air. Uh, in the span nice. of a few months and got like very obsessed with it. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, I remember <clears throat> it was like every every new week there was like a new coin that was like the hot thing. First, it was like Aurora coin, which is supposed to be the national cryptocurrency of Iceland. And then like it, they had some idea that it was going to distribute like a certain number of Aurora coin to every Icelandic citizen. And then so everybody invested in it thinking, wow, if the government accepts this, then, you know, there's going to be able to market for these like 800,000 Icelanders. And then that ended up collapsing in a fraud. But I was able to mine some of it. And, uh, you know, on those little ASIC kind of thumb drives, you know, I got a little USB strip and a fan and started running, you know, the, the, the mining program on my laptop, probably almost melted it a few times. Then there was Mazacoin, which is really fascinating because Mazacoin right. was made by somebody who was apparently on like like the Sioux Indian Reservation and they were going to make the first like First Nations tribe cryptocurrency that was going to be used to like raise money for the reservation and all these other things and like that one was super cool and you wanted to like get into that and then I think you found out that guy was like an FBI informant or like a scam artist or huh. something and it totally collapsed. I mined a lot of Mazacoin and probably made I remember making like eight hundred dollars, like you know, mining yeah. and like trading I it for like a week. I remember that one popped off for a while, and people were really excited about it. 
Yeah. Uh, just for clarification, uh, the Sioux uh, are known as the Dakota and the Lakota. Uh, you know, you're Sioux right. Isn't really a term. My bad. My bad. Yeah. Uh, and it might have been the Lakota. Lakota. Yeah, I want to say he was. It was. But, it was in. Yeah maybe south dakota um where this was yeah. allegedly it was happening. an interesting idea because it was supposed to be like the official lakota coin that was going to create financial independence for the indigenous people or something was yeah. the idea. but it popped off and then it just like went up into dust and that guy like ran for it yeah um, it's a, yeah. a big pump and dump and then the, you know, there's so many there was one coin i'm blanking on the name of it right now that kept claiming that it was going to be adopted on this sort of um like you know currency transfer text-based phone app that was very popular in east africa and that like this specific altcoin was going to be chosen by this company to be adopted for like hundreds of millions of users and they they pumped that story like up and down for months and there were like there was like a coterie of people like that were on twitter and the bitcoin forums of just like no you guys gotta wait like it the, the deal's going down like one of our representatives just like you know got back from nairobi and like just like 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 I lots of fake this. news i remember um, you talking about this but i also can't remember the name of the coin but i do remember this yeah i can't and i'm and there was like a very well-known kind of crypto scammer guy that was like the biggest uh backer of it and there was just so much um disinformation and it was so wild west i mean then obviously dogecoin which is almost like this absurdist kind of joke that turned into something that actually made people money yeah it made a little like some people a little bit of money i remember recently there was a new surge of interest in dogecoin and i was wishing that i still had access to my dogecoin wallet but i feel like i don't anymore mm. uh, i think i still have a little doge but that that was i think dogecoin was kind of a gateway i i'd buy a i had bought a little bit of bitcoin in 2013 um i think the first bitcoins i bought were 64 dollars each which you know no shortage of like kicking myself that i sold a lot of it you know much earlier than i probably should have but Hey, it is what it is. Um, mm -hmm. And but I think the other aspect of Bitcoin that was like a bigger deal back then was the kind of utopian sort of cyber libertarian aspect. Yeah. I mean, that I guess was a thing with Mazacoin. Like this is going to create like sovereignty for the Lakota people. Yeah, yeah. And and it was sort of pitched as this threat to central banking, to like fiat currency, to the big banks, like all of these to kind of our, our whole financial system, which so many people there was a lot of animosity against Wall Street and the financial system in the wake of two thousand eight. So the fact that this came out in two thousand nine, it was like there it attracted both kind of people that were in like that Ron Pauly kind of headspace or like the zero hedge kind of <clears throat> financial doomer headspace mm -hmm. or gold bugs. Even it was compared often to virtual gold. Yeah. And, um, and then also a lot of like cyber utopians, like the EFF, like WikiLeaks was an early adopter of Bitcoin. I think they even said recently that they have like a staggering amount of money because when they got shut out of PayPal, early in like 2011 um people definitely gave them had bitcoin the same, donations like skepticism around it as gold like i do remember like <laughs> when bitcoin was a hot topic i feel like now you don't hear about it so much but when it first like was a big thing like in the news people would be like if you're investing in this fake currency like you're stupid 
mm-hmm. as if like you know the U.S. dollar is like real or something. Like you know. Yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There was a lot of snarky dismissing. Uh, kind of, and, and it was always a big kind of coup if you got if there was like any kind of cable news coverage or <clears throat> New York Times article, and then people would get all mad because a lot of them were like dismissive and like this is dumb yeah. and it'll never work. I mean, work. obviously there was stuff like Thorcoin, um, <laughs> but oh, for sure, know, it was totally was unregulated. To made. Yeah, um, yeah, it was like a totally yeah. unregulated derivatives market, and it really was like literally vaporware. Like there, I mean, there was math behind it, but. Um, I mean, really, I think we'll we'll probably hit on this comparison again, but it was in a way like a form of digital alchemy where where basically it was sort of unhackable. Yeah, it really is alchemy. It's like the creation of wealth from like the use of I mean, certainly like it's the like alchemical symbols or that type of like the combination between like ceremonial magic and alchemy. Um, it definitely has that that aspect of it, you know, the idea of like the transmutation of matter into like, you know, the creation, the the great work, you know, it kind of has that aspect to it. I mean, really, alchemy a lot of the time is about the transformation of the self and like you know, as much as it is about the transformation of matter, whereas I feel like uh, Bitcoin is more about like, you know, uh, has more of an objectivist kind of uh perspective and isn't really uh spiritual a lot of the time although that would be a good uh hook for an altcoin i think the one that's like god conscious taqua coin um would be a good yeah but um yeah yeah yeah. i'm sure there have been religious coins i i think we even made a joke about in 2014 like you know uh making something called like juche coin that would yes you know yeah like if we right. didn't have scruples, we never did this, but we thought it would be funny if you claim to be like the official currency of the DPRK and how many people would potentially invest on it or like would it get news coverage? You know, I mean, there was so many. Yeah, I think that we like also that. joked about like creating the the altcoin for ISIS or something, too, at that time. Like, oh, God. Uh, and you know what? I bet there were altcoins created by ISIS or for ISIS. Like there's so many altcoins that. It, as long as it's, um, you know, kind of transferable anywhere to Bitcoin, you know, on any kind of exchange, and you could probably easily launder a coin, you know, onto some of these secondary markets like yeah. Bittrex or I mean, I also remember straight up losing a bunch of coins because different I think uh, I want to say MintPal was a yeah, crypto exchange I that I was on a lot. M- Mars coin and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But then sometimes these sites would just completely shut down one day yeah. <laughs> and then steal all the money in your accounts. And like that was it. So you had to tread very carefully in this world. But of course, the, the biggest thing that happened, I think it was at the end of 2013, was the collapse of Mt. Gox, which was mm-hmm. the number one Bitcoin exchange in the world, which had initially started out as a online trading market for Magic the Gathering cards, I believe. Huh. Funny. Yeah, by a by a weeb, uh, like a French weeb guy living in Japan named Mark Carpellis, who mm-hmm. I guess started offering Bitcoin exchange on his platform because he was interested in it. And then it's still, I don't even know if it's clear to this day exactly what happened um, or if he was definitively kind of, you know, uh, convicted of stealing all the money, but all the money disappeared. He claims that it was hacked, like hackers got into it and they, they emptied all the depositor accounts. And then he tried to cover it up for like a year. And then eventually the, 
he wasn't able to maintain kind of the math anymore and it all kind of collapsed and all of these early relatively early bitcoin investors lost like the losses were in the hundreds of millions even back then i think at that point bitcoin was trading around maybe like five hundred dollars a bitcoin so we were talking about like almost a billion dollars in in people's you know cryptocurrency was just like swooshed away is that like load a deep Sideways until he sleeps, then crash with the exact same Korea fund. Get Vitalik on the land. Bon, Paterum for two was in and wake him up. Okay. Is that wake? Load the flippin' in trade. Crash it. Activate quantum immortality. Now print 200 million tether. We are let him in. Kill him. Transfer everything. And then find the In light of all this Bitcoin stuff, like, as we've said, we dabbled in it a little bit. I got very into it in the springtime of 2014, and that is when I stumbled upon this story in the forums of BitcoinTalk.org, which was like an old school message board site where early Bitcoin enthusiasts would share, you know, different information about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, and also it became a platform for certain very activist users to go after scams that were, you know, multiplying, you know, they were exponentially every day in uh, every aspect of like the burgeoning cryptocurrency world. So when I was trolling around on there one day uh, in the midst of this, this great altcoin bubble, um, I found this user named Phineas Gage, who's like one of the most prolific posters on that website. And he's basically like a boomer from the Midwest who bought a lot of Bitcoin very early on when it was probably worth like pennies and became like, I think even by 2014, he had become like a digital millionaire basically, but then was just like hanging out like on, on these chat, on these message boards. And eventually to, after he got ripped off a few times by different fly by night companies, he started kind of taking on this role of like scam buster and he became like the most notorious and dogged scam buster on all the crypto forums. And I stumbled upon a thread that he was doing about how this company, Save Gox, that was backed by some firm named Sunlot Holdings that had just been created, uh, the central figure in both those efforts to like, basically they wanted to be appointed the sort of legal conservatives of the lost Bitcoin from Mt. Gox. And then they said that they were they were going to hire investigators and forensic accountants to basically track down this money. And then they would distribute it to the to the people that had lost it. But a lot of people found this like suspicious. They were just stepping in and saying like, oh, no, let let us find it. And the central figure in that effort was Brock Pierce, who had now kind of risen up and um, had assumed this very public uh, position as a cryptocurrency entrepreneur. And at the same time, uh, in the spring of 2014, 
his name was floated out as basically that he was joining the Bitcoin Foundation, which was like the nonprofit that uh, kind of coordinated, like they sort of oversaw the source code and, uh, you know, managed the, the PR around Bitcoin and stuff. And uh, people had kind of shaky opinions of it. There are some people that liked it and hated it, but it took everybody a little bit by surprise that suddenly Brock Pierce is going to be on the board and have kind of critical influence on the entire Bitcoin phenomenon. So this this poster, Phineas Gage, started posting these threads about Brock Pierce and like his den past. And I hadn't been aware of that up to this point. Uh, I, I sort of missed the whole den stories, but started reading about this guy. And this is, you know, I guess, uh, well, yeah, this isn't the first time, like I've said before, that I sort of read about these elite pedos and things like that. But this was definitely... Um, a shocking case. And it also connected to the allegations that were very publicly coming out of that time towards Brian Singer. So Brian Singer, if everybody remembers back in 2014, got sued by Mike Egan, who we referenced earlier, uh, one of the people that was abused at the den, the MNC estate. And he was suing Brian Singer for participating in that abuse at the MNC estate. And so uh, Pierce's name was getting dredged up in certain articles. There was a BuzzFeed article about it. And uh, I I don't know. I, I, I just was kind of shocked that everybody, it seemed like the opinion in the Bitcoin world was like, well, so what? And you know, myself uh, and the, this this guy, Phineas Gage. Typical libertarians uh, not right? caring about abuse. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, yeah, because it was a critical turning point for for me being kind of optimistic and ebullient about the promise of cryptocurrency, and then seeing the way this community around it that was advocating for it and saw its you know was promoting its world changing potential, not seeming to care about what seems like a very problematic perhaps compromised individual being, you know, uh, being risen up to be the face of Bitcoin. This seemed very, at the very least, like not a good idea, um, maybe a bad PR move. But then it, it sort of begged the question of why, why was this guy just sliding into the space? So this is when I tumbled down the rabbit hole kind of for the first time, maybe truly in my life, I think, found something that was deeply disturbing on the internet that I could not help but like obsessively search over. And that is basically like in the course of uh, investigating what Brock Pierce was up to and this character, Mark Collins Rector and things, this, this, uh, this Bitcoin talk poster, Phineas Gage posted links to a bunch of Facebook accounts that were kind of partially blocked off, but like had a public facing, you know, they weren't totally locked down. So you could just go and look at them. And it appeared to be the kind of alt accounts of someone named Brock Rector, who had Brock Pierce, like a photo of Brock Pierce, and um, Mark Rector, who uh, I think at the time it just said Mark Rector. And it was like a what seemed like a more recent photo of Mark Collins Rector. And then there were like a bunch of other kind of pseudonymous accounts that seemed like they had fake names and other people that were very suspicious. And the things they were posting were, like, immensely creepy. Um, yeah, and I remember I, being haunted by, well, maybe you should have the honor of describing this picture because I remember you inflicting it on, like, our group chat 
for a long time. Uh, I assume you're talking about the meat baby. Yes, I'm talking about the meat baby. So I'm looking here. I still have a lot of the the screenshots. I'm going to, unfortunately, you know, or maybe it's better that you don't have the visual aid of some of these pictures because they're very weird. Um, But I will put them probably in the, in like the workflowy show notes for, for people to look at and you can judge for yourself. But yeah, it basically, I'm staring into its dead white eyes right now. (laughs) And it's like a kind of, it's like a painting of what might be a child or a puppet, but it looks alive. And it's like this disgusting looking, almost like eraser head style, like meat baby with like no, no pupils in its eyes, just like these white eyes and like this pink, like putrid skin. It looks like it's like you took a bunch of like ground meat and then like constructed like a baby out of it. And then painted that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be. It almost looks sort of like a wood effigy. It has one of the eeriest features about it is that it has like one nostril, like one big, like cyclopean almost nostril. Like, uh, it almost looks like a flaccid penis that's like hollowed out. I was just, it was like a foreskin, like draped. Yeah. Yeah, it's hideous. It's horrible. Uh, I guess this is a this is an Alwara episode, right? So yes. I I think we'll probably inflict this meat baby upon uh, the Discord. But anyway, yeah. So it's awful. Yeah, and I just remember seeing this all the time. Looking more closely at this picture, I'm noticing. I mean, I've tried just now to go to Shane Erin or ShaneErin.com, which of course doesn't work, as I'm sure you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we, is the URL on the bottom of the picture. Um, yeah. There's also it, this it, weird sigil in the right-hand corner, which I never noticed before. Um, I never noticed that either. You're right. Yeah. It, it's very complicated. It, yeah, it looks actually like some kind of uh, like the definitely looks like kind of like a lesser key of Solomon type thing, uh, especially since in light of some of the other iconography that they were posting like yeah uh, so i mean yeah like a yeah just to foreground it like uh the the cover art and the pictures that were posted on all these accounts are incredibly creepy in several different levels like one of them um was basically this kind of um how would you describe the the cover art of the the sort of pentagram like pentagrams within pentagrams kind of thing it's a heptagram, and what it is, it's actually, like, the layout of it is uh, something that has been, like, actually used in real ritual magic. It's the Sigillium Dei, or uh, Signum Dei Vivi, or Signum Dei Vivi, the symbol of the living god. Sorry, I do the classical Latin pronunciation. That's how I was taught, too. Of it's my okay. background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, probably the people who were mostly using this would have done the church uh, pronunciation. But anyway, so, yeah, that's uh, really what it, it resembles most of all. It's a, it's a heptagram. Um, yeah, and it has the has names of... In the center. Yeah, it has the this, seven deadly sins represented by, like, Satan, Lilith, Lucifer. All these names are written on it. Yes, and the the Latins, the seven deadly sins and their associated virtues in Latin are on kind of the bars of uh, the uh, sort of inner uh, heptagram. Um, and on the outer ring are the names of the, the associated demons, uh, according to the kind of paradigm, uh, the traditional paradigm of the, the seven deadly sins and their 
corresponding uh, demons. I think, who was it who originally set that up? I guess that it was, uh, I guess it, it comes from the Lantern of Light is the classification that they use. Do they mention Lilith as being one of them? I believe Lilith uh, is written on there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's like very, um, like, it's like gray then. metal. It, it looks spooky yeah, and like scary. My, yeah, my, it is definitely scary looking. It definitely has like a sort of like Slayer type, like cover art type feel. My impression is that this was drawn like by a teenager. Like it looks like a pencil sketch. I think that like some edgy teen or maybe like edgy young adult drew this. It's definitely meant to resemble like a magical thing. But two things that definitely give it away is that on the inner pentagram, there's something that's obviously meant to look kind of like Hebrew or maybe like Enochian or some kind of magical alphabet like that, but it's definitely not, and it's just kind of scribble-scrabble. And uh, yeah, looking at this now, actually, uh, Lilith isn't mentioned. Leviathan is mentioned. So it is the the, the Lantern of Light classification, except I guess uh, maybe Leviathan is replacing uh, Abaddon. But other than that, it's the, the same. God, but anyway, yeah. Um, yeah um, but the, the general and, uh, impression yeah, of it, it is is sus, yeah. and it jumped out at me when I was looking yeah. at it for the first time. One, um, one big thing about it is that on the outer ring, uh, one of the languages that is featured here is definitely the black speech from Lord of the Rings. Uh, you, it, like, uh, is the exact, uh, you know, characters you can see in, in that movie or in representations of the black speech. So... It's definitely not a, like, you know, uh, made by like a knowledgeable occultist for like real purposes, but you know, they all had this as their cover art. So they yeah, were obviously multiple into accounts. the stuff. Yeah. They were into yeah. the stuff. They yeah, were into like, it. They were, then they were wanting to signal like their interest in, in this. Yeah. Uh, it, and that and just, with the meat baby, it's a lot. You and, know? and uh, also just to add the, the cherry on top is that um, there's a certain pattern of interaction with these accounts that, you know, some people have said maybe is evidence that these accounts are all bots, though I would still say like bots by whom. But basically on all of these accounts um, that have kind of funky like fake names, they all basically like it's like this group of like 12 accounts all like each other's posts. And then on some of the posts, they just all write like LOL, 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 yeah. LOL within like three minutes of each other. And it's uh, and it, and the meat baby was captioned. Uh, and this is a recurring theme. It's captioned Elizabeth Buffalo R and then says like it's tagged like with uh Matthew Romney, Mark Rector, John Jr., that's J-H-O-N Jr., Kevin Collins, um, Maria Guzman, Newman Ralph, John O'Connor, uh, in San Pedro de Alcantara, Spain. And eventually, you know, another thing I noticed right away is that most of these accounts, uh, or a lot of them, were posting out of Marbella, Spain, which is obviously where Brock and Mark Collins Rector and Chad Shackley like ran and hung out. Um, but, but more importantly, like the, uh, or I don't know, significantly, uh, a lot of these posts reference something called Buffalo J.A., yeah. In a very creepy way. Um, what is Buffalo J.A.? Because I still don't actually know. Um, I don't know either. And I tried like hell to kind of um, to kind of figure it out. But just to read one example that in some of these Buffalo J.A. posts, 
they they get a little bit more uh, chatty in the reply thread. So this one that I captioned years back, Mark Rector posted on April 4th. It's like a picture of a silverback gorilla with like its butt facing the camera and like a big butthole. And it's like very prominent and like a weird picture. It's like he's got a big pink butt, which I guess many gorillas do. And like his like rectum is like uh <laughs> it's you know visible yeah. and the caption is buffalo ja in jail and it tags all the people that are like in this group and these are the comments like brock rector's first he says his house in jail and the prisoners own their ass of buffalo ja lol then an account uh in this group called ken rutkowski says that him have put atrocity the ass to Buffalo J.A., LOL. Another account named David Weiss says, it is not going to lift off the ground to be sure, Buffalo J.A. Then Brock Rector says again, Manolo says everyone knows in Marbella that Buffalo is in jail. And Mark Rector then says, we laughed in Paris from Buffalo J.A. thief, LOL. And... Uh, like my head just started to like fucking spin as I was like reading more and more comments like this where it's like the comments on the meat baby of just like LOL 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 uh, like why weird, why is like, that LOL accounts yeah like what <laughs> yeah and like yeah two of these people have some weird like uh, hourglass like all seeing eye type like symbol as their profile picture it's it's weird like why. Yeah, why is that LOL? <laughs> like, why? Is why? it the idea that this is representing Elizabeth Buffalo R? Like, who is that? And Buffalo J... In other ones, they there was another one that said, uh, Buffalo, like, Buffalo J... It, it showed a picture of, like, some jail in um, in Spain and said, like, Buffalo J.A. in, in prison. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. There, there's a, a stock photo of, like, some hands clutching jail bars as if they're, yeah, like, stuck in like, jail. This is Buffalo J.A. So this Buffalo <laughs> J.A. And Alan Nietzsche, another one of this group, says, I'm amazed you, Mark. I saw in your mind that Buffalo J.A. went to jail. And Ken Rakowski and David Rice <laughs> just both write LOL, LOL. So... Um, uh, yeah, then there was a there's a picture of a, a, a police station like in Spain and Mark Rector writes, the day was in prison, Buffalo J.A. And everyone gives like thumbs ups and LOLs. And Kevin Collins, who has a picture of Chad Shackley, says he deserves it for thief, LOL. <laughs> um, and um, David White says soon be in jail again, Buffalo J.A. Like it very like I, I don't know what the heck like they're all seem to be in Spain. They're speaking in kind of broken syntax with like LOL. The other thing they do a lot is the Spanish version of laughing, which is ja 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 ja. There, there's yes. a lot of um there's a lot of posts where it's just like <laughs> LOL Buffalo J A in the ass ja 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 ja. It's like I don't know, that, you know, not like not to uh, you know, cast any negative aspersions upon like, you know, Spanish speakers like right to to use you know, Jaja Jaja makes sense, obviously. But in their context of doing it, it just had this weird, like, kind of Jaja Jaja Jaja. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> it, it just, like, was a little bit... Because these old people seem to be, like, um, all these pictures are kind of like these... They all look kind of like international men of mystery. Phineas Gage looked into a couple of these, and then I started posting. And actually, um, you know, today... Gonna finally out myself. Uh, yes, dear listeners, uh, the inter- the board user Buffalo Doge on BitcoinTalk.org 
was in fact Dimitri um, all along. And this was like, I sort of jumped into this and uh, I don't know, I got so kind of obsessed with what I was finding that I, uh, I wrote up something on Pastebin and posted it on the forum. And then uh, Phineas and Gage and I kind of engaged in a sort of back and forth collaboration. Um, and there were other people too, um, you know, that, that kind of popped up on Reddit and on Twitter. Um, definitely a, uh, Got to give a shout out to Crypto Cuttlefish, who was this is the first time I encountered them. Was they posted a timeline of Brock Pierce's uh, suspicious career, and so there was like a few people out here trying to get the word out. But I, I just want to read like a little bit. I'll post this in the notes. But uh, from exposing the Buffalo Club, which was published in in May of of 2014, and. I referenced basically like a BuzzFeed article that uh, that had interviewed Brock Pierce when these Brian Singer allegations had spilled over to like talking about Mark Collins Rector. And um, it said from the article that Pierce told BuzzFeed that he hasn't spoken with Collins Rector in years, that the man is not involved in any of his businesses in any capacity, and that he does not know anything about his whereabouts. And to a crypto guy a few weeks earlier, uh, Brock Pierce said, I am not Rector's friend, and I haven't interacted or worked with him in years. And so I said, you know, let's examine that claim a bit, shall we? And um, I I basically say, like, you know, I'm we need to talk about the extremely creepy Facebook accounts. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think now I know Ed graded, like I wouldn't write this today, but, you know, uh, have mercy. But uh, I know what some of you are going to say. Come on. I saw that those accounts are blatantly fake. Most of them were created around 2011 or 2012, a.k.a. the peak of public anger against Brock Pierce and IGE. These pages were probably created by butthurt MMO trolls who wanted to smear Brock and link him to his shady former business partners. After all, the profile for Brock Rector hasn't even been updated since early 2013. Case closed. Uh, I said those are valid observations, but upon closer examination, I've personally concluded that most, if all of these Facebook accounts are at their core, authentic. So, there are a number of semi-private accounts on Facebook that appear to be controlled by Mark Collins Rector, Chad Shackley, Brock Pierce, and several other IRL individuals. I've counted 14 accounts in total in this private circle of friends, nine of which are currently active this day. I've taken to calling them the Buffalo Club, and you'll soon see why. Before we start, a small disclaimer, the information I'm sharing is drawn only from the public content of these profiles. There's probably far more activity on these profiles, but their privacy settings are restricted, yada, yada. So uh, I look first at like Mark Rector's account. His location is listed as Marbella, Spain, and uh, he... I, he was posting, so I saw that he just returned from London, where he stayed at the Ritz-Carlton uh, a few days ago, and then uh, was in Barcelona at the time of this writing, and I noted that he has quite an odd sense of humor, which seems to be shared by everyone in the group. What stands out most of all are the constant references to a certain Buffalo J.A. This group loves giggling about Buffalo J.A. and all their posts, but what the fuck is Buffalo J.A.? Mm-hmm. And I posted some of the things that we just talked about and uh, and said, Rector's first public viewable post was July 2012 compro un condominio for those who don't speak Spanish that means bought a condo and then he posted reencuentro con viejos amigos in Marbella, Spain aka reuniting with old friends and uh, 
From there, we, we move on to Barack Rector's account, active since September 4th, 2012. That's basically, that is a picture of him. I think we later were able to find, like, the picture it was cropped out of. He hadn't posted anything publicly since 2013, but I noticed that he was liking and commenting on posts up to the present. So he basically, like, even the day I wrote this, he was liking um, Mark Rector's thing in Barcelona. I actually later sourced that they were in Barcelona on the same day. Maybe a coincidence. I don't know. Also noteworthy is the proud display of satanic alchemy symbols on his cover art. As you'll see below, this is a major recurring motif. Um, and I post the meat baby. And last but not least, uh, yeah, there was uh, his first post was something like, you know, like sex and money are the most important things ever or something like that. Um, the next person was a guy named this is where it starts to like connect to other people, which is weird. Uh, this, the, the Ken Rutkowski account um, spelled with a Y. Um, is actually uh, Ken Rutkowski with an I, the LA-based host of Business Rockstars on CBS Radio and founder of Metal International, an investor group in, uh, based out of Santa Monica. Um, I found that Ken and Brock go back at least a few years. I found a clip on YouTube of Brock and Ken speaking at a metal gathering back in July 2010, then another event in 2012, and another one in 2013. And in early 2014, Brock Pierce was a guest on his radio show to talk about Bitcoin um, and their friends in public and etc. And I also found a picture that I can't confirm, but looks like a picture of him hanging out with Gary Goddard, who was a Disney Imagineer and like children's movie director who was uh, pretty heavily. I think he finally got Me Too'd in like 2018 by Anthony Edwards, Goose from Top Gun who uh, Goddard molested, but was one of the four people uh, named in the Brian Singer lawsuits in 2014. So Ken Rakowski, I'm pretty sure, I mean, you could take a look and tell me if I'm wrong, but pretty sure that Ken Rakowski was hanging out with Gary Goddard. Um, and then the third one, and this is where it gets very bizarre. It's a, a account named Robin Way, W-E-Y, and his cover art was the logo of the Defense Intelligence Agency. And he looks like this very, like, kind of like a, if you had to cast, like, CIA guy or, like, secret agent out of central casting, uh, you you would probably hire this guy. And this guy was kind of like a struggling actor. And it was, like, a picture of him standing in front of, like, the Pyramid of Giza. And I was able to, like, reverse Google image search him. And it turned out that the picture was actually of, like, a real guy named Michael Kaliski who was at the time running um, kind of like a, a green NGO called Good Planet Media, which was all about uh, promoting green product placement in like Hollywood productions. And so he was also through that connected to the Silicon Valley kind of tech scene. He was posting on like his public Facebook that he was like meeting with a senator like in 2013. He had a write-up in Producers Guild magazine. And he was also a guest on Ken Rakowski's Business Rockstar show in 2012. So they also know each other. And basically like on Angel List, like Brock Pierce and Ken Rakowski, he's friends with them. Then there was a, a World of Warcraft player, the, the Newman Ralph account. Phineas Gage found out that his real name was Jason Emmelkamp, who is like a big time like World of Warcraft player from I think Australia, and his uh, his gnome to Warcraft was Wastegate with like a three instead of E's, and he had just launched a Bitcoin startup called BitSecured in 2014. Let's see, uh, just real quick, like there was accounts called David Weiss and Alan Nietzsche, and they alternatively they both had 
the logos of Interpol and the Defense Intelligence Agency and uh, I think even like the Office of Naval Intelligence or like OPIC maybe. But these guys look like very like CIA basically. And they definitely weren't their real names. You couldn't, there's no way to, nothing popped up on reverse Google image search. And, uh, but you know, they were like in the mix being like LOL Buffalo JA. And of course, like I think Interpol was involved in the arrest of Mark Collins Rector and Brock Pierce and Chad Shackley in 2002. So why are these, if these people are, you know, Brock Pierce and all these other people, like why are they friends with all these guys that have like Interpol DIA stuff? It, uh, that yeah. that kind of starts to make your head spin even more. Like, wait a minute, there's like a government connection to this, maybe? And yeah, um, well, uh, they can do all this stuff and get away with it. Um, as yeah. he said, Just as he like said. Jim said to the evil homophobe. Yes, um, and yeah. And maybe the last one, because I think it spins off into something we've discussed before, is uh, the 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 account that has a photo of Chad Shackley is called Kevin Collins. And when I finally looked this up, that was when it's like the chill went even deeper. Cause I was like, what the fuck? And actually this is when I found the name of Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino for the first time, this exact, wow. moment. this exact moment, because yeah. I was looking and I thought, uh, even in this is exposing the Buffalo club. I think that I, I made a stab that basically uh, Brock had taken one of Mark Collins Rector's surnames and called himself Brock Rector, and Chad Shackley had taken, like, Collins, even though he misspelled it. So, like, they both, you know, assumed, like, one of his surnames, which I thought was, like, okay, whatever. But um, then I, like, Googled Kevin Collins and realized I don't think that's what they were referring to. I think what they were referring to was a boy, a 10-year-old boy named Kevin Collins, who was abducted off of the streets of San Francisco in the Haight-Ashbury in 1984, um, coming home from basketball practice at his Catholic school, St. Agnes. And he was, like uh, like we've discussed before, like Johnny Gosh, he was one of these really, really famous milk carton kids where his story got a lot of publicity and, you know, the parents obviously, you know, go out on the media, go on the news and, you know... Um, you know, plead for information. They went searching around all these places. They picked up a few kind of shady suspects, but nothing ever took. And, um, and it's remained a cold case to this day. Nobody ever knows what happened to this kid. Um, but, uh, there's one guy that I stumbled upon back then who, uh, says that he knows exactly what happened to Kevin Collins because he claims to be one of the people that kidnapped him. And that is a, uh, that is a colorful Sonoma County figure uh, or Solano County, maybe figure named uh, Peter Scherneff, uh, who goes by the, uh, the nickname Cactus Pete a lot. He's like an eccentric hippie that has been kind of this like loud political presence up in uh, in like Sonoma County. Uh, north of the Bay Area for many years. He's, like, well-known there as, like, a, a kind of this, like, pan-conspiracy theorist, uh, radical vegan, kind of funky, hippie, old boomer dude who uh, often shows up at, like, city council meetings and has gotten thrown in jail multiple times for, like, interrupting court proceedings and stuff like that. But you can still find a video of him talking about um, Bohemian Grove, 
with like I, I forget the name of the the conspiracy sort of host that like tracks him down. But he basically says that, oh, I know exactly what happened to Kevin Collins because, like, I'm one of the three or four people that helped kidnap him. And I did it because I was, like, an MK Ultra uh, slave, kind of, like a, a servant who was, like, brainwashed under MK Ultra, And I, I kidnapped Kevin Collins at the request of Michael Aquino to take him to Bohemian Grove for a human sacrifice in which George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton... And numerous other figures, including then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict, were present to, um, and you know, uh, no, I mean, I shouldn't laugh because, hmm, I don't know, like, uh, uh, and they sacrificed him. I would say that, like, uh, I mean, Pope Benedict did cover up a massive child uh, molestation scandal, so, uh, but. He did. I mean, I don't know, like. I will say that Kevin Collins is, like, a relatively common name. I mean, it is, like, a, I mean, barring, like, any actual mention by Cactus Pete of, like, Mark Rector, it's still, like, a nebulous connection, like, to, to that. But, you know, it's possible. Like, yeah. uh, and one interesting thing is that they did use the name Kevin in the past in Chad's world. They did. Um, they did. And uh, uh, there are actually think. layers to that, because I think as we as we read, the person that invited Mike Egan to the MNC estate was Chad Shackley's younger brother, Scott, who actually noticed in the credits was like a set PA or something on Chad's world and presumably had come out to L.A. to live at the MNC estate as well. So in a way, he was like the real Chad. Mm. And then he yeah. he went and recruited these other young chads to to come over <laughs> to the estate. And, and you know, I I don't mean to like imply that like oh Mark Collins Rector like had something to do with this or like he was involved. Um, but rather that I think that Kevin Collins it, the the number one connotation, especially in a milieu of people who are like convicted serial child abusers and pedophiles, in such an extreme way that if this is them. Like, this seems very in line with, like, a kind of sick sense of humor and a kind of arrogance yeah. about, like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if I called myself Kevin Collins, that kid who got kidnapped? Yeah. Uh, they certainly do seem to have a sense of humor around that. It seems like their new thing is kind of, like, it's interesting, like, given the sort of, like, occult uh, implications that... Again, like, that one, like, cover photo that's very, really grabs one's attention, it, like, you know, still doesn't really show, like, uh, real, like, knowledge per se. But then again, you know, what can, we've talked about this before, like, what can you say is, like, you know, sometimes these things are purposefully, like, kind of mocking or, or absurd. Uh, speaking of that weird yeah. heptagram, I actually did find a classification of demons very similar to the one from Lantern of Light. Uh, that does have uh, Leviathan in, case, uh, in place of Asmodeus. Again, not that, you know, just in case people are curious, uh, there is a guy, Peter Binsfield, a German theologian, who had a classification of demons uh, with similar to Lantern of Lights, but uh, which had uh, Leviathan mm. instead of instead of Abaddon, which uh, is the demon of envy. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's interesting I... from this, uh, yeah, they, they kind of did get more into spiritual, or at least Brock Pierce did, Oh, yeah, he did go on. Puertopia, 
Oh, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. if you so like I mean, just to say like this didn't stop him. Uh, some people resigned from the Bitcoin Foundation when he took over, but none of this really stopped him. And he went on to be like this big Bitcoin guy. And then of course in 2017, when Bitcoin shot up to like you know over ten thousand dollars, Brock Pierce became a billionaire. And then of course like. Still, uh, even though he had all these shady associations with uh, a variety of crypto companies that kind of flamed out or didn't really do what they were supposed to do, he kept kind of failing upwards and kept being able to get involved in bigger and bigger projects. And one of those was after the uh, it was Hurricane Maria, right, in Puerto Rico in um in yeah. uh yeah like basically in in the aftermath of that in like early 2018 there's a new york times write-up about him where uh it mentions that you know he was trying to build a sort of crypto based almost like colony in puerto rico because yeah. you know the the low cost of living and kind of there probably weren't a lot of barriers or regulations around uh you know, wild and crazy new financial schemes yeah. that he wanted to try out. But like the name that he gave it, which it says in the very beginning of the article was Pueritopia. And, yeah. you know, it's a, it even says in the article that somebody told the reporter that that translated or or somebody, you know, it was relayed Old to the Brock reporter. Pierce, that yeah. means eternal boy playground. But I mean, actually, it just means boy place. But, well, yeah, uh, is it Topia? Yeah. I, I'm a little rusty on my Latin, but I, I mean, it's kind of a portmanteau of like to- of, of yeah. Puer and Utopia. He would say and it's to- Puerto yeah. and Utopia. Puer, but, Puerto, yeah. But, but yeah, it is it is funny that it has to be like boy, yeah, in there. But and boy, boy change, Utopia. Yeah. So, but after they were told that, yeah, like uh, it's they are going to change the name to Sol, which like as in sun, like, you know, which is odd. Uh, hmm, like, yeah, Sol. Yeah, which is, it's weird that, like, they were told about, like, the weird Latin uh, translation of Puertopia, and then they're like, we're going to use the Latin word for sun, uh, but whatever. Also um, reminds me of, like, Saul Invictus, that, like, satanic libertarian that's run for governor and Congress a bunch of times, and... Like, yeah, exactly. talked it's about, like, uh, human sa- like, animal sacrifices and shit. Yeah, like, using soul for uh, the sun, it definitely has some kind of, like, spiritual... I mean, yeah, that dude was, like, all, like he was actually at one point, like, a straight-up, like, Luciferian Satanist, like, or at least, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some weird, uh, like, person who's into the occult in a huge way, um, especially yeah. into the going so far to change his name as, like, Unconquered Sun or whatever. It, like, <laughs> using that, like, shows some kind of weird pretension and in fact they while they were trying to set this up they were just they uh rented like a uh two twenty thousand square foot hotel uh which they called the monastery where they just like chill out and like drink beer on the roof apparently he does like rituals all the time during his time or he did during his time in puertopia i guess he's not there anymore now he's running for u.s president as we mentioned yep but uh during that time apparently he was really into doing uh rituals all the time uh according to the article it says uh the force of mr pierce's personality and his spiritual presence are important to the group whose members were otherwise largely agnostic mr pierce regularly performs rituals Earlier that day, while scoping out property, they stopped at the historic Saba tree, known as the Tree of Life. Brock nestled into the bosom of it the and was tree there of for like ten minutes. Kabbalah? Yeah, that is a yeah. is a Kabbalah type thing for sure. Yeah, a huge occult uh, thing. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's a huge thing in general, like, uh, in all sorts of symbologies. But, yeah, like, uh, it would fit in well with some of the stuff that, like, they were playing around with in the past. But, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Anyway, so, yeah, it's unclear, like, what exactly the rituals are. It says that he walked around the tree and said prayers for Puertopia. uh, Mm. The kind of tongue cluster there. Prayers for Puertopia. Holding a rusted wrench he had picked up in the territory. He kissed an old man's feet. He blessed the crystal in the water as they all watched. He played the Charlie Chaplin speech from The Great Dictator, like, uh, to everyone under really? the tree. Um, uh, yeah, and, yeah, very cringe. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, he played it to everyone and also to, to the tree. Uh, you know, so very much wow. like, uh, yeah, very, very cool. But anyway, so, yeah, um, he, you know, was trying to do outreach as part of this to, to bring together uh, Puerto Ricans and Puertopians as if they're not in Puerto Rico. Like, you know, <laughs> like, 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 yeah, we're our own sovereign <sighs> nation. Yeah. And yeah. there's like, you can see pictures in this article of him hanging out in this monastery, uh, you know, like it's sitting really on the during his very, like dirty, like, dirty, dirty burning man cowboy phase. Yeah. You know, what's weird. I find that his facial features like, you know, not to get too like phrenology physiognomy here, but like, what is it about former child actors where they have this certain like phenotype where like they like, I feel like he looks like Macaulay Culkin where they have like what the, having been like a cute child actor kid, uh-huh. like s- makes you somehow have this weird, like sunken face. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, at, I do. Like, I also, who knows how many... I think at this time, he was also getting really into, like, ayahuasca and DNC. Yeah. He had been a huge um, devotee of, like, going to Burning Man for many years, which, of course, like, so many tech people... Of course, That's, yeah. like, practically a real... Uh, uh, like, a, your, that's, like, your hodge if you're yeah. in fucking Silicon yeah, Valley. Yeah, nowadays. true, like, yes. Is to go and, like, you know, like, have an have an orgy on like two CT seven or something. And like yeah. the, the terror dome at fucking burning man. Um, and yeah, the, his appearance in these articles is quite wild and very, very burning man. Um, yeah. And yeah. kind of the, the desert prophet and the, the kind of being more and more kind of drugged out and messianic <laughs> and, and, and yes. hyping all these scams, uh, really kind of, he, he dropped the kind of Armani suit kind of image in the mid, uh, kind of 2010s yeah. and, uh, and became really big until of all people, uh, Sir John Oliver was the one that kind of like popped his balloon a couple years ago and made fun it's of it's interesting them. yeah because i feel like they're both very much like if we play the charlie chaplin speech from the great dictator to this tree it'll like solve everything uh type yeah. of people but uh, i kind yeah, of hated yeah. to see it of all the people that were gonna like lay low brock pierce in the media like john oliver are you fucking kidding is john me? oliver yeah. actually a knight is he sir john oliver no but he will be and you know yeah yeah he's been very useful to her majesty why are you here why are we here? And to be conscious of the things you do and say, I'm doing this because. The world we live in today is not inclusive. It is not designed to include everyone. That's why some of us on the front lines of innovation are building systems that include all of us. Always asking yourself why. You don't do things just because you can. You do things because you should. We live in a world that's not transparent. All sorts of things going on that we can't see. It's the year 2020. 
things are supposed to get clear. Bringing transparency to systems and places that have historically been opaque. We believe bringing light to shadow will better all things. Why do you play the game? How are you measuring or scoring yourself in this game? Because to some degree, it is choose your own adventure. I just, I just wanted to slip in around the same time period so we don't forget to mention it that Mark Collins Rector, uh, it's not exactly clear like what his movements were kind of from the mid-2000s onward, but one of the things that he did do was he founded in like when he came back to America and was kind of let out for like time served but as part of his parole he had to get a job um the job that he ended up doing when he moved back to Boca Raton Florida was to found a military defense contracting company called Proteus Systems that basically uh, got into developing underwater drone technology for the U.S. Navy and actually was, despite his reputation, was able to secure funding and a board of directors and interest from other bigger uh, uh, defense contractors. And I'm pretty sure, like, actually did get contracts from the U.S. government to build underwater drones. So that's kind of interesting because... Like, he's out on parole for being, like, a millionaire, well, really for being a pedo, but also has this, like, horrible business background, and the U.S. government is just like, oh, word, okay, yeah, you want to build top-secret defense technology for us? Sweet. (laughs) It's just a little bit, and then when you go to, like, 2014, you see all these, like, Interpol DIA logos all over their shit, and you see Brock Pierce, because I I think the, the big question at the bottom of this is, like, what happened to them after they got arrested in 2002 is Brock Pierce, maybe some kind of informant or asset for the U S government. And that was like my initial suspicion back in 2014 is that he had been flipped probably in 2002. And that's why he got out of jail after a month and then has been able to have like nine lives as an entrepreneur and just keeps failing upwards, no matter how much, how many times his sketchy past keeps coming back to him. He's like, he's a Teflon man. You can't catch him, you know? Yeah. And uh, and Mark Collins Rector as well. I mean, there was a, the thing that put a gabosh is like BuzzFeed claimed to have found Mark Collins Rector in Belgium in like 2014. And it kind of, um, it kind of put the kibosh on any speculation that he was out there doing anything else. And it, it was like described how sick he was and how, um, but they didn't really interview him. It's like they heard like coughing inside of an apartment that somebody said he lived in. And um, it was like very vague, but then it, it kind of just, uh, it, it added some interesting details to the mix uh, in terms of reporting on like, his past exploits but it kind of like put like put it in a box and put it away so now we really have kind of no idea where he is or what he's doing he's out there which is you know a little scary but and maybe you know they might still be in business together to this day i i I think it's uh it's a possibility that you have to consider and now especially that um he is running brock pierce is running for president (laughs) Yeah, it's like, what's this all about? And we watch we'll put a link in of a recent interview that he gave with 
like a crypto news guy. And it's, it's, you know, it's very, it's very telling in a lot of ways. I mean, the guy does bring up Mark Holland's rector in his past and asks him about like, why is he running for president? What's he after? And um, I don't know. What, What did you glean from that? Um, yeah, it seemed odd, and I don't really, yeah, I didn't think he a satisfactory answer. He had some bizarre plan where if he wins one state, which isn't going to happen anyway, mm-hmm. then somehow he'll be able to wrest control of the election in the chaos. It's very much like, he definitely has inherited that megalomaniacal gym uh, complex mm-hmm. from, uh, I, I see from him kind Mark of, Collins director, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, the it's yeah, it's strange. Yeah, and in the interview, he is wearing this bizarre like outfit where he has like a lightning bolt pendant, uh, which is like a USB drive in it or something. Um, it's probably yeah, like, like his, this, you know, his his wallet, his Bitcoin. It does wallet look like an it does look like an SS uh, symbol, as you mentioned uh, before we uh, when we were discussing this earlier. But, yeah, uh, he, yeah, he's he mentioned a number of things like I, I thought one that was interesting was that he mentioned like we're living through the force industrial revolution. There's going to be winners and losers. <laughs> and that like I noticed that meme. I'd like to touch upon it again because I noticed like that's being promoted now as like the the new paradigm that we're entering is the fourth industrial revolution. But it's like all these corporate backed NGOs and foundations and, and stuff are like that paradigm. What are the second, third industrial revolutions they never say they never say but uh yeah I mean, that's they probably have an answer me. for it i guess so yeah all right i guess all right never mind i guess maybe it's like electricity or something like i don't know i, feel like I think it's gonna be about green revolution. it's gonna be about like austerity and like green technology uh like tr- greening the economy basically well, yeah, I can see that as being a new industrial revolution or whatever, but I just want to know, because I've never heard of the idea that there's, like, multiple industrial revolutions after the actual industrial revolution. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, I mean, and it, the idea a... that this is the, the fourth one. I guess according to Wikipedia, it's, it's also known as the first industrial revolution. Uh, if you look up industrial revolution, so huh. maybe I have okay. something to do I, about this. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, sure, but I think they did. It does feel like they kind of just pulled it out of like I don't know, out of like the the NGO swamp uh, to be like this PR phrase that sounds very important and like a I way see, to yeah. contextualize what they want to do. I guess people and, say that the second industrial revolution was like in 1870, or the technological revolution, which was represents standardization uh you know and industrialization and then uh the third industrial revolution is a digital revolution and now we're going to have the fourth industrial revolution um yeah i guess it was wishful thinking to imagine this is just a completely arbitrary number but um yeah yeah like that uh anyway but i think if you dig into Um, it there's certain assumptions i mean it it is stupid but you know and it's also like to it you know it's also kind of like davos like slang for it's kind of what's in right now so i think it's kind of him gesturing to being this like in it kind of cutting edge business person that is you know discussing a new paradigm is the magic number of like bad 
cannon speak, you know, like fourth turning, you know, the fourth mm. Reich, you know, four, you gotta have four, you know. Well, it's funny uh, four, you mentioned four, that. One, magic 441. Four, oh, magic 441, uh, yeah. Archangel, Camiel, uh, et cetera, you know. That was so. something we traced back. But uh, it's funny you mentioned Bannon because this interviewer mentions Bannon and asks him, you know, you've been connected with him. I think the interviewer says that, like, you once called Steve, you once said that Steve Bannon has been your right-hand man for the last seven years, which is like, er, really? Like, I, I hadn't heard that. But, I mean, they did, obviously. He worked for Brock Pierce, technically, uh, and helped him get $60 million in Goldman Sachs money in the mid-2000s. So, I guess, according to Brock Pierce, like, they still know each other, and they're, they're personal fans of one another. Um, and uh, and uh, he, he's kind of demure on whether or not he would, like, you know, team up with him formally. But, uh, but that connection, I guess, is still, you know, and I think maybe, you know, they're later... Bo- they if we both do... love monasteries, apparently. You know, Bannon also wanted to open that, like, you know, uh, Catholic warrior gladiator training... Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, like Gladio assassins financed by like Gladio coin or something. Um, And (laughs) it it, it bears mentioning, too, that both Steve Bannon and Brock Pierce have a connection to Jeffrey Epstein that doesn't Mm -hmm. get talked about very much. Um, Steve Bannon visited Jeffrey Epstein several times in his uh, townhouse, I believe, in like 2018 and early 2019 and was caught by photographers. Oh, yeah. And Brock Pierce. It came out more recently that Brock Pierce had attended one of these like genius conferences down at Epstein's Island, you know, where like Stephen Pinker and like Stephen Hawking and all these business oh tech yeah. technology people would gather to like share their big brain ideas. Right. And Brock Pierce was on the guest list sometimes there. Got, yeah. There must be a pod for me. <laughs> um, exactly. But, and and um, Brock Pierce was also like a paying member of like the Clinton Foundation. He people I, I remember in 2014, we dug up some stuff that he was like going to Clinton Foundation events back in like 2008 and hobnobbing and making connections and all that. So he's kind of in this mix, you know, um, and I think it's like interesting that like during Pizzagate, you had Bannon at the heart of the action uh, running Trump's campaign. And if you, I don't know, if you had to pick somebody, you would have like the diabolical mind to like throw a meme like this out there to, you know, to, to weaponize. Um, it might be him, but of course, like n- there was nothing in the Pizzagate stuff that kind of touched on like Brock Pierce or Mark Collins Rector or Epstein. Um, that would be a hilarious development in this election if somehow out of nowhere, like despite all the other like more viable third party candidates that have like kind of floated there, you know, despite like, you know, past the Green Party, past the Libertarian Party, past Kanye, somehow like Brock Pierce's insane plan. I mean, it's like uh, it's definitely some kind of grift. Like, I don't know it is. who it is, is falling for it, but... It, you know, well, he, he, it, he shaved his beard. He's got kind of like a a, a, a little blonde star child kind of uh, cleaned yeah. up look now with his like long flowing. I locks guess he must and, have like a clique of like d- d- faithful, you know, who see this as a natural like and, and real progression. So it must have some kind of instrumental purpose. Well, I guess it's a great way to promote yourself to run for president. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that was Trump's original idea, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, if I think you know, maybe Kanye beat him to the punch a little bit, but uh, yeah. but I think that Brock Pierce has always been on the cutting edge of kind of um, interesting trends in culture uh, and technology. Yeah, maybe that have we'll like see. a dark side to them. 
Yeah. Oh, uh, definitely. Before we wrap up, I wanted to go a little bit into what we found when we kind of revisited some of these uh, spooky Facebook accounts that you had explored all those years ago uh, more recently, uh, uh-huh. which is that they seem to all be now really riding like the sort of health and nutrition way. Well, there are a couple of themes. Uh, one of them is no 5G. Uh, they're all like very anti 5g. They have this one picture that they all share, which is like no 5g. Um, and they also, a lot of them have an account, uh, or have a, an image, uh, including Brock's account, Brock Rector, which now has changed his name to Victoria Eck, uh, of, I guess, a Spanish politician who I know nothing about, but, um, it's a quote from him saying isolation control, uncertainty repetition of the message and manipulation of emotion are techniques used for brainwashing eduardo punset that's uh the Mm. quote they all have which is i guess you know the yeah the most logical way to take this would be that like they're doing the standard like wellness community thing of being like the media is like brainwashing you like don't trust 5g etc but yeah it's interesting in the context of like who they are like that they're like hey like these are some tools for brainwashing yeah uh, but yeah it's, the real it's a... the, yeah the, the real standout thing is that they all are really into pushing this book by uh ahlam esawi mm-hmm. uh who which is called uh desnutres atus hijos uh to yeah to yeah exactly uh don't speak spanish uh i can read it a little bit because of latin but um that's as far as it goes but yeah. i can read it well enough to read the title uh is like you know are you starving your children or are you uh undernourishing your children which yeah. is des, I guess maybe... des nutris seems like yeah like yeah it, yeah. like yeah like and i think this might actually be like kind of an idiom in spanish like in a way or, or a phrase that's that people use but one weird thing we noticed uh is like uh you know in our original work flowy like uh dimitri chronicled his putting this into google translate uh and what google translate says if you put this in is undress your children uh question, and we cannot question mark we, we cannot figure out why. Like, why would it translate it this way? Like, there is, like, you know, desnudar or desnudes in the second person, I guess, would be, uh, you know, undress your children. But uh, why would it turn these two, like, T and R into a D? Uh, Google, like, why would it do that? Like, Google Translate, can't, like, you know, is it visual? It can't see? Like, what? Is, I don't I, know. And I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it right now on Bing Translator on Microsoft, and it's giving me the same exact thing. Desnutris a tus hijos translates to undress your children. What is that all like? So maybe this is the reason why they're so fixated with this book, which they're now posting on all their accounts. Uh, like this, often mean, it's either the it's either like a kind of like low res picture of a sowie um, holding the book. Or it's a, a picture of the book sitting on like a stone bench, or there's a picture of the book and another book, which was uh, what is it the the tri the triad of power is what it translates to. The, yeah, uh, yeah. What does it say? Like you have you have yeah, hidden you powers. Have hidden powers. Yeah, occultos. Occultos. Uh, yeah, exactly. And um, so it's like these three pick, and they are the exact same picture across like a dozen accounts, and most of the accounts from like the Buffalo Club. Back in the day, they have the same URL username. So it's like so weird. Brock and Rector like, is still Brock Rector, but they like changed identity on the site to be these kind of throwaway accounts. 
and of it's like not fake like, people that don't yeah, exist. Yeah, now they have like fully they've crawled into the TV and become like these weird bot accounts. Uh, it's indistinguishable. Like you know, they would not pass a Turing test, but yet like it's so. it's weird and like they, yeah, like uh, it's it's very strange because on one hand, like maybe they're into obviously they are into kind of like health and wellness and like that type of stuff but like it's not like they have like brock rector or brock pierce doesn't have any kids like why like i mean there's mm-hmm. the obvious reason but like that's bizarre and the uh, cover art of these books is so weird like there's this weird little like uh like a wiener hot dog on a fork crossing out the days and days nutres like and on the tr- power triad one like there's all this fruit obscuring the peak of the triangle creating the most magically powerful shape of trapezoid. No. Um, oh my God. I yeah. Didn't that. It's yeah. It, uh, <laughs> it's strange. So that's like the latest bizarre. That's where chapter. They are. I actually thought those accounts had been like totally wiped and deactivated. But yeah, when I, I checked this week, like they're, most of them are back and they still have um, even Mark Collins rector who now goes by rector Marcos, but his account, you can't see anything of what it's doing. It's just like, it's there, but you can't, and it's still like, mark rector one or whatever um so it's like very weird i mean i assume because i think after uh people like myself and like phineas gage like put a spotlight on these accounts they like locked down and you couldn't see the comments anymore or like the buffalo ja stuff and there's no buffalo ja stuff on them today it's just like the fixation on this book and like they're all sharing the same like weird memes of like stop 5g like the 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 Spanish guy saying the thing about brainwashing. It's just like, I, and you know, I, I think, um, I, I think, you know, I got to leave it there for now because you could probably spend like, this is one of the most legitimately bizarre things that, that I think I've ever like personally stumbled upon and looked into. And, you know, even if they're all bots, it, it does beg the question of like who programmed these bots and why do they all interact with each other the way they do? And like, <laughs> yeah, and, why oh, do and they're all, all have these names? The, they're locations, like, by the way, of all these accounts. And there's some new ones like floating in the mix that look like fake people, but they're all located in Marbella, Spain. They're still in yeah. Marbella. So it's like not fundamentally different. And they seem to type in Spanish now instead of like this weird broken English. Yeah, there's so, one that I noticed uh, named Shlomo Oheon, which is a very weird name. Uh, yeah, I don't think these who, names are real at all. Yeah, but, uh, you know, of course, he's from Tel Aviv, but he lives in Marvel, Spain, like they all do. And he's a member of, like, many, like, Kabbalah groups and stuff. like. So there's this weird aspect to it where, like, yeah. why would you make a bot account that has, like, some weird, like, magic circle as the thing, like, that's obsessed with Des Nutres, uh, you know, like, what? This very obscure book that's, like, not, not, she's not, like, a very big author. Like, she is, does seem to be a real person who published these books, but, like, not a huge author, and, yeah, like, none of these people have kids, so, like, why are you obsessed with this thing that has, like, a weird glitch on Google Translate that says, undress your children? And why would you take the name of, like, Mark Collins Rector? Like what? Like, it's it doesn't make Brock sense. Rector. It's weird. Yeah. In, unless he, unless they've they've never separated. Like they've always remained in kind yeah, of like Mark Cohen's Rector has like his compound in Marbella where he's still like pulling the strings, and Brock Pierce is like his puppet in the world. And, yeah. Well, um, I mean, like if these were bots, like what? Oh like, yeah. It, you know, it's it's weird. Like, no, but yeah, yeah, it, it it is, and I mean, I think you know we. 
maybe there's a chance to to get to it. There's a journalist, I think I mentioned in the beginning, the guy who wrote the Radar online article, John Gorenfeld, who was hired by uh, Business Insider to do like a deep dive into like where is Mark Cohen's rector and like what is the deal with this. And he actually contacted me and I started feeding him information and he looked at the Facebook profiles and thought they were really bizarre and disturbing and wanted to go deeper into it. And of course, he was like a real journalist. So he was making phone calls and stuff. And I remember kind of communicating with him and, and like he found one of the bodyguards of Marbella that had worked for Mark Collins Rector. And the guy was saying like, oh, yeah, I could tell you a lot of stuff. But then he was like demanding money in order to like talk. And he was like, naughty, nah, like this isn't a tabloid. Like I can't give you like $5,000 or something. Yeah. And so like they never ended up finding out like specifically what that bodyguard, you know, what, what kind of tea they could spill. Well, going by Mark Collins records, previous bodyguards, uh, probably, probably doing some bad things. things. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, and, um, well, they were I, just probably beating up, uh, evil homophobes and then, uh, you know, framing them for, uh, <laughs> attack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, um, what basically happened was like, like Gornfeld was about to publish this big thing. He'd been working on it for maybe a, a month or two. And then Buzzfeed came out with that, like we found Mark Collins rector thing in Belgium. And they just totally like blew up the spot on it and then business insider like pulled the article so we've Mm -hmm. never seen it but i um i uh i met john gordfield once it was like very like spy movie of like we like you know met in a low-key place and we talked about these things that we had found and it was very i remember it as very memorable um i don't know how much he remembers me at all but uh i remember as memorable kind of like listen kid like you can't fight City Hall, you know? And he was like, I'm going to go back and be like a computer programmer. I'm done with journalism. <laughs> Shit like that. Like, it was very, um, seeing somebody that kind of had, you know, like a professional career in this being like, like hitting that wall that was like, nope, we're not going to explore this anymore. And wow. nobody's going to ask about it. And same with like Brian Singer. Like, how many things has he been, how many times has he been quote unquote exposed, uh, the the last like five or six years and the dude is just like un like like uncancelable like you can't yeah. get rid of him like he's back again he's gonna win the oscar for bohemian rhapsody you know like there, it, there's a it, couple of people like that like i was reading through our our comments on our soundcloud uh i don't know if uh the person who made this comment will hear uh this but shout out to the guy who mentioned victor salva who yes. made this movie victor uh, jeepers creepers uh-huh. and uh, powder uh-huh. You know, and a, a big yeah. patron, uh, his big patron was Francis Ford Coppola. Yes, uh, but apparently he made this movie called Clown House, uh, yes. which was about like evil killer clowns. Uh, and there was like on the production of Clown House, there was like sexual abuse of 12 year olds. Um, he abused so, a boy and, and actually went to yeah. prison for it. Yeah. And he still has a career. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Know. Um, and I think, uh, good you one. know, like he's, I think that's Jeepers also creepers three in 2017, you know, still did he direct strong. that? Yeah, he did. Oh, wow. I mean, he and, directed and all three Victor's creepers and uh, Coppola financed his, his movie. I don't know if it was clown house or another one after he was in jail and had molested somebody on the set of one of his movies. So, you know, um, second chances do exist. Apparently, to shoot the film, uh, he was given the cameras that George Lucas had used to make, American Graffiti. Ugh. 
by Francis Ford Coppola. The movie What's Clown House, uh, where he molested a 12-year-old, Francis Ford Coppola gave him uh, $250,000 to make that and the cameras uh, that were used to make American Graffiti. Awesome. Very anyway, And, you know, I think, uh, <laughs> I think we'll start to wrap up, but I think it is worth mentioning, like, another aspect of the horror of this was that, like, I was in Los Angeles and had been... Um, had recently gotten represented as a screenwriter by a manager and was sort of um, coming face to face with Hollywood for the first time. And, you know, while I don't have very much to show for it, um, I think it was it was definitely a chilling experience to have the Brian Singer story hovering around and then this Brock Pierce stuff hovering around and every other thing you could find about the sort of sketchiness of Hollywood and even like like Corey Feldman and stuff and just like going into that kind of industry and getting this sort of chill that you can't quite put your finger on but that you know it's happening somewhere and you know the, it has this habit of protecting people and you know it's uh then you start reading vigilant citizen and it just goes all <laughs> from there but you know it's like this is a this is a kind of a, a a really spooky trip to take because it, it it sort of made you think twice about you know something like den where it was like this factory for abusing adolescent you know underage adolescents in a really systematic way and how like kind of nobody if it hadn't been for that lawsuit from that kid in new jersey would any of it have come out and how long would everybody have gone along with it i mean it probably would have collapsed because it wasn't a viable business idea anyways but still like you know know. we could be in season 20 of chad's world right now (laughs) uh yeah um Um, inshallah we will never see season 20 or the previous uh 19 um but I would I would be a little bit morbidly curious to see episode two of Chad's World. Uh, after that, maybe I would stop. But I would be interested to see what happens once Chad decides to to hang here in the MNC mansion. Yeah, I I kind of would too. Just if anything, just to sort of like follow the thread of of Stifler's performance through yeah. and see what um what, um what he really it probably do. was like uh you know. It was certainly the most arresting performance that I've, I've ever seen Stifler give. Uh, he really embodied Mark Collins' rector in a, in a terrifying way. But yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I, I mean, I, I, I can't say that we're never going to circle back to Brock Pierce yeah. again because he does seem to be this person that keeps popping up again and again. It was again. really a fight to keep this to however many hours we're currently at. I think we um, may, maybe skated under three. Um, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but I hope that uh, gives a, a good overview of um, the dark side of the tech and entertainment world and the cryptocurrency world. And, uh, you know, I mean, according if you believe all the conspiracy theorists now, there's three pedos running for president, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Uh, yeah, true. And uh, yeah, possibly uh, one clone of a pedo. True. Um, yeah. True. Um, at least and, one clown yeah um, yeah and 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 brock y- y'all can watch the uh the the interview that that we'll link um but i mean he does seem a little bit mk'd sometimes maybe mm. i don't know it's probably very complex uh but it's uh it's just, it's tough for these disney kids out here you know 
Yeah. I kind of feel kind of feel bad, but also he has done many bad things. So uh, I think I think at least the the weight of the world is on the side of not trusting Brock Pierce now, which is not how it felt in 2014. So I'm yeah. at least a little bit relieved. I will say, you know, it's kind of like I I never like really like it when I mean you know not to uh, take issue with what you've just said, which was, uh, you know, empathetic towards someone who doesn't deserve it, which can only really be uh, plotted ultimately, but like, or, or is at least a good impulse. But, you know, there's plenty of people who are like molested and abused as children who like then don't go on to become like child molesters and abusers. Absolutely. So like, it's not really an excuse. It definitely um, isn't. Yeah. It definitely uh, isn't. Um, or just, yeah, hanging here for a while and getting a Ferrari (laughs) and a black driver and, like a $5,000 Armani suit and a Walther PPK, uh, <laughs> doesn't make it okay. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Walther PPK. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Has your homophobic father ever given you a Walther PPK for Christmas <laughs> to celebrate you killing a deer, um, <laughs> that you then use to blow your brains out in front of your friend, Chad? Anyway, God, sorry. I would uh, love to know like the, the childhood of Mark Collins rector, uh, just in general i don't know did his is that what his dad was like or is this just a complete straw man to like cover (laughs) the fact that he's just i don't know a pedo um he did go back to michigan where chad is from so you know maybe there's some connection there i don't know one day we may find out um maybe but until then uh, uh yeah don't send your kids to hollywood yeah just don't uh, <laughs> i don't do, care if barbara Harris walter says yeah. you're, you're denigrating a whole industry um yeah. i don't care let it be denigrated it's, you'd be better uh, it's off us. taking josh harris's advice and putting your kid into a cyber army than sending them to hollywood for sure at um, least you can keep an eye on them yeah yeah um all right well um we will see all of y'all soon and until then stay vigilant peace Skies are not cloudy.